As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 42. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am back in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. Sorry, Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, as he said last week. <laughs> well, you know, there was only two of us. <laughs> and we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington, United States of America. On the How's it going? It's going pretty good. All right, so let's... Uh, I got some fact check from last week. I'm not finished editing the episode, as I mentioned earlier, but so um, you guys were sort of wondering what that room was off the side of the house with the glass and stuff. And technically it's a greenhouse, but I believe the term is solarium when it's connected to an actual physical building, it's kind of like, you know, off the, off a wing or whatever. And you guys were talking about the breaking of the glass that um, young JL, JL does after, after, um, realizing his mistake by letting his mother let out of a room. Um, and he throws the, the glass, or throws a rock or whatever through the glass and breaks it. And, and it's a, and to me, that's, it was a metaphor for the breakthrough, right? That he's realized his error, the error of his ways, but it's also a metaphor for the fact that the adult John Luke has discovered what it is. He's been blocking his whole life from that memory. So See, that's what this I is why we miss you, pal. We, we miss this insight. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's kind of what uh, what I had there. So I guess we'll just move on to the headlines, and JPK is up first. Yeah, well, we'll start on a bit of a down note, but uh, an important one nonetheless. So this week, unfortunately, not that John Luke John Luke's mother hanging herself as a down note. Yeah, it's a different thing. Uh, this week, unfortunately, uh, saw the passing of a another comic book legend. We seem to be losing them at an unpleasant rate lately. Uh, Neil Adams who famously uh, was one of the, the pioneers of modernizing comic books in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, he passed away this week. He was 80 years old. He, uh, he was sort of the first person that really started drawing comic book characters realistically, really started sort of taking them away from that uh, sort of stereotypical cartoon 
cartoony style and started drawing that sort of, you know, neorealism kind of uh, look of the books. And in doing so, you know, particularly on uh, on series like Batman and uh, Green Lantern at the X-Men, he really changed the game. He really was a pioneer in, in this way. But beyond being an amazing artist, um, he also was really well known for taking up the cause of comic book artist rights. So he was one of the people who helped advocate for uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster when it came back to, you know, the fact that they had kind of, uh, you know, sold their Superman rights to DC uh, a long time back for pennies on the dollar. And so he was one of the people who, you know, really helped rally the cause and he would, you know, was really involved on the the legality side of trying to make sure that writers um, uh, and artists were protected as far as, you know, the work for hire they were doing and making sure that when they were creating characters, they weren't just, you know, going to be, uh, you know, um, taken advantage of. And that as much as his as much as his art was sort of pioneering, it's that that really I think a lot of people will remember him for. I was lucky enough to have met Neil a couple of times. He did an interview with me for uh, for one of the publications I was working for way back in the past. And uh, he was a real charming guy. He he was he had an ego the size of Kansas City. He was just a very larger than life personality. Uh, but boy, he knew how to sell. He could sell himself. He could sell his titles. He could sell the comic book industry. He just was a master at selling uh, all the work that he did and selling his his uh, his counterparts across the industry and and uh, yeah he's just this big personality that really I think will be missed in the in the comic community again he came to a lot of different events you know like right up obviously into his eighties you know he was he was just this presence and uh, and yeah it's just it's, uh, it's it's a really really sad loss for the comic community. So coming back to the the drawing style, was he? You mean like he wasn't like drawing the bulked up sort of superhero distorted human being kind of? Well, things, so if you if you look back towards you know the nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, and even into the sixties, comic yeah. books were done in a much more sort of cartoony or or sort of. Um, I don't want to say childish because I think it's insulting, but in a, a little bit more of an exaggerated fashion, they were, you know, when you think about sort of the, you know, the opening animation of the Batman cartoon or the interstitials where you saw, you know, Batman and Robin as sort of these, you know, smiling, very plain. He was one of the first people to actually draw, you know, muscle definition and just dark shadows and really took the, the approach to comic book, drawing away from you know the sort of uh you know the archie comics the sort of the the sort of innocuous stuff and really started to give it an atmosphere of wow gotham's a dark and scary place batman's a scary you know guy and and you know he he drew you know real emotion on people's faces it wasn't just you know uh, you know, straight lines and squiggly lines. It was, you know, teeth bared. It was, it was emotion on their face with, you know, these dark shadows and, and the work that he did, his line work was so beautiful. He really changed 
and paved the way for a lot of artists to come. You know, it, it, there's a real path from what Neil did to what Frank Miller did with Daredevil to, you know, moving into the grittier comics of the 1980s to that real shift to maturity in comics. Comics aren't just for kids. They're, you know, a serious medium where serious artists can can do their work. He, he's just an absolute game changer in that way. And, you know, I, I think everybody who's who's a you know comic fan historically, um, you know, owes him a debt. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. So farewell, Neil. Thanks for everything. It was uh, yeah, it was a great pleasure to meet him and a great pleasure to uh, to continue to look upon his work for years and years to come. Speaking of uh, DC Comics. Got a little bloodletting this week. So we knew that, uh, you know, we had had a conversation in previous episodes about how things might get a little shaken up now that uh, DC is in, in line for a possible restructure. They've been obviously, you know, the Discovery Warner Brothers uh, merger. And we talked about the possibility they might clear the decks on the CW stuff. Well, sure enough, the axe fell on two series. So Batwoman has been canceled after three seasons. There will be no season four. And sadly, Legends of Tomorrow has been canceled after seven seasons. I did not uh, really continue with Batwoman after the first season. I got to admit, I kind of had to grit my teeth just to get through the first season. And then when they had the whole turnover of cast and they went a different direction, I just never got back into it. Legends, I really, really loved. It was just so joyful and madcap and just you know just the quirkier side of of superherodom which i i quite enjoyed so it's disappointing to see that go although with any series getting into that you know length of run you know almost the entire cast had turned over it was it was really it was about sort of evolving from one thing to the next and you know obviously i wish they could have gotten a, a nice solid season to get some closure, but I don't think it's the end of the world that, uh, that that's gone as well. So what that leaves us with is, you know, not a lot of DC content left on CW. We've obviously got the flash, which we know has been renewed. Although I think we talked about a previous, uh, a couple of weeks back, we talked about the fact that it might be getting its own, uh, sort of shortened and, um, you know, conclusionary season coming up for season nine. We've got Superman and Lois, which is going to be going into its season three. We've got Stargirl going into season three. And then we've got Naomi, which uh, is not connected uh, strictly to the Arrowverse, but it's also a DC property. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is sort of the the beginning of the end for the so-called Arrowverse. I mean, I know you're a fan. What, uh, what do you make of all this? Yeah, um, historically was into the Supergirl series uh, before it ended. Uh, really only saw Arrow and Flash and uh, Legends of Tomorrow when they crossed over into the big crossover stuff. So sort of vaguely familiar. Watched the first season of, of Batwoman. Wasn't too into the, the the character change in season two. So I think I punted after like two or three episodes of season two. Um, Superman and Lois have been following for the past, uh, I guess they're close to the end of the second season and, and still digging it. You know, it's got some CW problems, but still keeping me around. Um, I'm, I, I am kind of wondering what's going to end up happening here with, uh, you know, just the natural sort of state of things seems to be let these licenses run out. 
don't renew stuff and then revamp everything back over on the the mothership brand which would be the the hbo max stuff right just like Mm -hmm. disney Mm -hmm. saying yep don't renew any of this marvel netflix stuff let it run out wait out the clock and then bring it all over to disney plus i i just assume that the sort of long-term plan is is to bring all of this stuff over to to uh, hbo max yeah and i think that makes a lot of sense although it does take it off of the the public airwaves it puts it onto the paid airwaves which is you know again not a surprising move obviously ip is king nowadays but it's mm-hmm. um yeah it's definitely a pretty big shift in mentalities for for people who are fans of this you could start got to you know have to pay to play right yeah and and there's kind of like a little bit of a charm for the the cw-ness of like okay every time you know every time supergirl does something super like it used to be like a five to one ratio of her doing something, you know, cheap to film. So yeah, <laughs> there's going to be a big emotional moment with her sister for like 10 minutes for the like two minutes that she spent doing superpower stuff. And, you know, it's got some charm to it. Right. When you when you go full streaming, it's like, bro, how much money did you spend on the background? Is it $10 million per episode that you're spending? Like it, it, it just has a different flavor. So I, I don't know if they'll, um, you know, continue to find some way to get a little bit of the um you know the warm fuzziness type stuff versus you know everything is a a premiere everything is a crown jewel that hopefully wins an award sometimes i kind of just want to show that you know has coca-cola and and huggies diapers (laughs) in the background for for commercials yeah it does say in this piece so the piece we've got is from den of geek and they had a nice piece and it does point out that uh, May 19th is CW is holding its upfront presentations. So we might get some more clarity around whether or not Flash is going to be uh, indeed its final season, what's going to happen with Naomi, whether or not it's coming back for another season. So we might get just another tip towards, you know, where, where we're going with all this. And, uh, and then we can start speculating on what they might or might not revive. All right. Uh, next up. So Spider-Man director John Watts, uh, who I think we can all agree did a really nice job with that sort of three-part origin story for uh, for the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man, was supposed to be moving on after completing No Way Home to the Fantastic Four uh, project, the first one under the MCU banner. And unfortunately, this week, we got news that John Watts has withdrawn as the director. So there's a piece from Deadline, an exclusive from Deadline earlier this week, that uh, he says that he's just ready for a break. He said, you know, he committed to it. He was into it. But after finishing the Spider-Man trilogy, he said he just wants to take a break from doing superhero, uh, superhero movies for a while. And he's going to go and and just take a break and do some other stuff. So it's not the end of the world. It's not as uh, contentious as what we saw with the fast and furious part 10 this week, where Justin Lin apparently was so fed up with, uh, with, with his, his star that he decided to walk out and never come back. So it's, um, but it's still disappointing. I think, I think Watts did a really nice job. And I think I was kind of happy to know that somebody who gets that, you know, you don't have to, hit every single beat of the origin story to tell a good origin story uh, was, was going to be tackling fantastic four. But I think, you know, I'm sure that Marvel being Marvel, I'm sure they're not going to find a nobody to come in and fill his shoes. So we'll see. So it's not dead as a project. It's just no, 
No, I think they've committed to it. As a matter of fact, I'll be curious uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Doctor Strange of it all later on in this episode. But um, now that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is is actually it's coming out uh, as we record this, it is now playing in, in movie theaters. Uh, the Illuminati, which has been hinted at in the in the recent commercials and, and trailers, uh, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four is part of the Illuminati, so I'll be really curious to see if we get a cameo from him or not. But if we do, that will be a huge reveal because uh, who is going to play that part has been a lot of speculation, and then you know where that spins out of there. So I'm really curious to see what they do. Like who is in the the MCU Illuminati? Oh, right. Well, seeing as we we're talking about Star Trek. Um... Uh, interesting article here that I found written by uh, the son of um, what is his name now? <laughs> uh, Rod. Rod Roddenberry, um, yeah. whose uh, mother, of course, was Majel Barrett at Roddenberry, who plays number one in, in the first series, North Chapel. She played Luxana Troy um, and a few other characters. She's the voice on Discovery's computer. I'm not sure she's the current voice on Discovery's, but she was in the first season, I think. Um, and just an interesting article here about how it wasn't so much his um, his father, but his mother who who fostered his love of sci-fi and taking him to see Star Wars when he was a kid and all that kind of stuff um, as well. So interesting write up here on on Major Barrett. Um, yeah, just check it out. It's a good little story there about uh, how how supportive she was. And and for the record, he just sort of said that uh, the character she plays as Luxana Troy is probably the closest to her in real life. <laughs> yeah. So kind of... walking around nude is the... I, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Anyway, that's it. Cool. Uh, next up, we got news this week of an interesting crossover. So Blake Lively, a well-known actress, uh, is going to move into directing. She's going to make her directorial debut with an adaptation of the graphic novel Seconds, which was written and illustrated by Brian Lee O'Malley. Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, for those of you who do not know, was the creator uh, and writer and illustrator of Scott Pilgrim, which, of course, was a famous adapted uh, by Edgar Wright uh, ooh, 12 years ago now. It's hard to believe. I've read it. I read Seconds when it came out. It's a good book. It's an interesting story. It's about... Um, uh, uh, well, it's kind of a weird story. It's about a chef who has the ability to go back and time and fix her past mistakes and um, by, by using uh, mushrooms in her cooking. It's it's weird. It's a weird story. I'm sure, like Scott Pilgrim itself, I'm sure it will translate in an interesting way. Um, but it's an it'll it's one. It's good to see that Brian's getting more work, um, uh, getting more of his work adapted because he's very talented. And also, I think it's interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it, how they adapt it. It doesn't have exactly the same sort of sense of humor as Scott Pilgrim, so it certainly doesn't lend itself to that exact kind of treatment. But it'll be really interesting to see how they adapt another graphic novel of his into uh, into that form, especially, yeah, like Lively, obviously, you know, well-known actress, and and uh, her her husband, of course, is Canada's own Ryan Reynolds. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what comes of this one. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what this uh, yeah what this does. Cool. 
apparently Paramount Plus is doing uh, pretty decent. You know, it's only a few years old. It's up to 40 million subscribers. Even though it's not generally available in like a ton of places, it did add 6.8 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. Um, you know, they're they're slowly building up stuff. They've got this whole you know train of Star Trek stuff, uh, which obviously we've been. What episode is this of the season? Forty something, forty two? Because they've they've not had a hiatus. You know, that's that's what you want out of your uh, your streaming provider, right? Keep keep giving us reasons to plump down the the cash. And they've added Halo. They've got um, some other things out there that uh, you know we'll we'll talk about later. I don't want to spoil my uh, my watch list item quite yet. But they're 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 doing decent, so won't be surprised to see more of the CBS Viacom Paramount stuff head on over to Paramount Plus as at least the the beginning point for a lot of what they do. Mm. So I mean, they're Netflix has what two hundred million, and people were freaked out that they dropped like two hundred thousand. So do the math. They're still 160 million behind Netflix. They're not overtaking them anytime soon, but they're, you know, they're, they're competing. It's not bad. And you know, I'd be really curious to get the breakdown on how many people are subscribed for Star Trek. Yeah. Um, all those people who subscribe to CNN plus are like, what do I do with my money now? <laughs> like, maybe, maybe I'll go to Paramount plus now. All, all dozens of us came over. I was going to say all 25 of them are going to move over at once. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, this next one, I had to double check. Like I knew that there was a Weird Al thing coming out. I knew Daniel Radcliffe was attached. I completely forgot that this is tied to Roku's free channel stuff. So in the wild world of everybody's got a streaming service, um, Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al Yankovic in the uh, the biopic coming this fall, apparently, to the Roku channel. I think that might be available on the web. I don't know if you have to actually have a device or not for that. I think I think the free stuff on the Roku channel is uh, ad supported, kind of like uh, Crackle or Pluto TV. Hmm. Did you guys get a chance to take a look at the trailer and, and, and bask in the the old school Yankovic glory? I I did, and I you know the funny thing is, do you guys remember it was maybe like two years ago? I want to say it was College Humor. Somebody did like a spoof trailer of like the dark side of, of, you know, weird Al behind the scenes. And it was a biopic, but it was like portraying him as this like super dark character and stuff like that. Like it was hard not to like see it as a satire of itself and, and maybe it will be, but I just, it felt like really uh, surreal to see a biopic of weird Al. Mm, indeed. Indeed. Well, maybe weird Al will do a, a, a spinoff on it. He's going to do an homage to himself. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool if he were to drop a new album and then had uh, had the biopic in some way, shape, or form in in the music video. <laughs> that would be great. So Jimmy Kimmel has COVID, and I was watching um, the Jimmy Kimmel show last night, and uh, there's a guest host who's a comedian who I'm not familiar with, but apparently Mike Birbiglia is that who it is? Yeah, Mike Birbiglia has been on this week. You and you and McGregor's daughter is a huge fan of of this comic, and uh, but so in in the conversation he was talking about uh, how he got to see uh, how he got to see Star Wars when he was a kid. It was Star Wars Day, obviously yesterday, May fourth, and um, he said that uh, he was just he he just, he and his brother were being taken to see his uncle Dennis, who was in this movie called which he didn't know what it was, and it turned out to be Star Wars, which blew his mind. My question is to the group: Who did? Uncle Dennis play in Star Wars. 
Ooh, I know, 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 I know. <laughs> I mean, gotta guess before before the spoiler guy goes. <laughs> Let's see, Ewan McGregor. Who did Ewan McGregor play? Was there somebody who was very obvious? Not Ewan McGregor, but his uncle played. Uncle well, yeah, Dennis. yeah. I mean, given the age, like his uncle, I'm like, you know, from unless it's like an Uncle Ralph. The American cousin kind of thing. I'm going to assume <laughs> comes from the same part of the world. Uh, man, I can't even. I, it, it, was it the bartender from um, uh, the cantina? No, no, that's one guess. No. <laughs> How many guesses do we get? He gets three. Oh, okay. Mm, background. Think rebels. Think rebels. Really? Drawing a blank on anybody except the pilots, like Porkins. <laughs> <laughs> both. No, both. Wedge? No idea. I'm, I'm completely drawing a blank. Okay, John, hit him. It's it's Wedge. Oh, cool. Got it in three. <laughs> yeah. As I started making yeah. my way through the uh, through the pie, it's awesome. I didn't. I did not know that. Yeah, cool. I remember reading about that when uh, when Phantom Menace came out. They talked about how funny it was that he was actually related to somebody who'd been in the original trilogy. I don't know why that piece of trivia stuck in my brain, but it did. Yeah. I, I might've heard it before, but I, but it was really funny to hear it from him, like being told, but he didn't, because he didn't tell us who the, what movie was he was going to see his uncle Dennis play in. Anyway, uh, which leads us to the next thing. Cause you know, of course, you know, we're talking about the, uh, the upcoming, uh, Moulin Rouge two, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Actually I saw your, uh, saw your post about this and thought, Oh, I can piggyback off that. No problem. So I dropped in, uh, yeah, this week we got our, our first sort of f- more full trailer. It still feels like a bit of a teaser trailer. It, it is a little bit longer and a little bit more detailed than the first trailer they dropped for the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney plus limited series. That's coming at the end of May. Um, I, yeah, it just it didn't really go a lot further than the first one. What what were your impressions, guys, of this uh, of this first longer trailer? Still, uh, I'm still hyped up for it. Um, I don't Did know. you learn anything new? Uh, I, I I am kind of wondering. Um, there's a couple of like timeline things of you know when uh, in a New Hope when Luke says, "Hey, so this this droid is talking about." And Obi-Wan Kenobi, do you think that's Ben? I was like, oh, okay, you know, he, he remembers, like, almost 20 years ago when when uh, he dropped him off and all that crazy stuff that happened. I didn't interpret it as like, oh, yeah, like, five years ago, <laughs> ten years ago, <laughs> I saw him. Or with the, the Darth Vader stuff, it's like, you know, you know, Obi-Wan, when I last saw you, last week, <laughs> I've, I've become the master now. Uh, so I, I am kind of curious how they they deal with those parts, but the, uh, the non, the non sort of timeline, you know, depends on a certain point of view, sort of interpretations. I am excited to see like, what the heck was that guy doing other than just visiting bars and causing a ruckus for all those 20 years? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was that, um, um, at one review I heard was that, um, uncle Ben was pretty harsh. <laughs> At one point, because the one the, in the middle of the clip, he he talks about you know stay stay away from my nephew and kind of oh Uncle Owen from, yeah yeah Uncle yeah. Owen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so because he's yeah and and I, I don't like it when they when they sort of do these sort of like you know filler comments because I mean in the movie he kind of he kind of makes an offhand comment about the crazy old man you know up yeah, in yeah. the hills kind of thing right which is a bit more fitting with you know do you really know the guy kind of thing right. Um, and now what I was going to say too is also now that I've finished Rebels, 
I have a better idea who the who the inquisitors are, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the scene where you see the three of them, and and the one with the the circular lightsaber on his back. You know, um, I don't know if that one particular one has a name, but uh, yeah, he's the, the Grand Inquisitor. Well, there's three of them, though, right? There's the main, yeah. the main one, and there's, there's the the well, there's the, the sisters, the sisters and the brothers, but then he's the Grand Inquisitor. This is the yeah the the pasty fellow with the the wrinkles on the face yeah so as as a quick aside now that you finished that uh, what are your impressions I I didn't know you'd finish I haven't, I haven't finished I'm almost finished I oh, just okay. realized it yeah I've got a I'm sort of at the I'm at the part where where um oh spoilers spoilers where's the young what's the young kid's name Ezra Ezra yeah so Ezra's got the whole slick back yeah yeah new hair. Yeah, yeah. And, new look and, for him. New look for Kanan. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Kane and Kanan's, you know, learning learning how to use his his abilities now in yeah. a different way. Right? Yeah, yeah. Without spoiling too much. Yeah. So you watched the the Twilight of the Force episode, the uh, the big the big duel uh, between Maul and those guys. No, uh, I don't know where I am. And all right, well, well, you you finish. You let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, there's just there's a few like killer episodes the last couple seasons. Just great ones. Real good Mandalorian stuff. Really good Ahsoka stuff. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think this has changed anything for me. The Obi-Wan trailer it wasn't like, well, I'm, I wasn't going to watch it, but now I am. Or I, <laughs> I am going to watch it, but now I'm not. I think I, I side with the internet on this one. I was looking on Reddit and I was looking on social and everybody's like, cool, excellent second trailer. Um, Darth Vader, maybe? Can we see like the Anakin yeah. of it all? Can we see, you know, well, you hear that, him breathe? I, I get you hear him breathe, right? You do, and and obviously you see him being assembled like a Lego kit in this one too. But I do think that uh, it would be it, it makes sense for them to not want to spoil. Obviously, how they're going to treat the the you know Anakin slash Darth Vader of it all. But I think that's the part everyone sort of you know. I do have a question to, to get to. Yeah. I have a question though. So, at watching watching Rebels and, and watching bits of of Star Wars again, obviously because I watch it all the time, is like, so how did Anakin Skywalker get so tall? Lifts. Uh, yeah, no, it's I a mean, feel I, like we just saw it in the trailer. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, upgrades." <laughs> yeah, I, I think honestly, I think that's the whole thing. Is he he's now as a more machine than man is what what Obi Wan calls him, right? In in the original uh, Star Wars. I think the idea is that not only is that suit keeping him alive, but I think, you know, obviously it replaces his arms and his legs because he loses all of those. Yeah. But I think it also, it, it, it is a suit of armor. It's meant to make him taller and bigger and even more, more powerful than he already was as a Jedi. So, True. yeah, no, it's just, I think it's, it's just supposed to be in that. rebels in rebels. He's enormous compared to the other characters, you know? Yeah, and I, I actually liked it. I really liked the rendering they did of him there. He had this sort of very angular face and kind of looks maybe even just a little scarier. Yeah. But mm. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's going to be fun to see see how this all shakes down. I mean, it, it's a weird one, though. I, I still feel the same way about this as I do about every prequel. You're going to tell me a cool story, but I know what happens to all these characters in the end. Nothing. Nothing is going to change. <laughs> yeah. Like I know what happens to the Grand Inquisitor because he's in Rebels. I know what happens to the, some of the sisters because they're in Rebels. I know what's going to happen to uh, you know Obi Wan and Luke and Darth Vader and it's like okay, so you know all of sound and fury signifying nothing. Well, and also the, the, speaking of Rebels, the timeline all of a sudden you know Leia goes from being a baby to being fully grown you know nineteen year old girl, right? Well, when she appears in Rebels, she's she's definitely older. 
Oh, but it, but in the Ahsoka book, uh, she's toddler. Yeah, but the Ahsoka book is set further back, right? The Ahsoka book is set more like bad, a okay. little after Bad Batch. So she's right. definitely there is definitely a time element there. Well, there's time it's to have little... an Ahsoka two book, right? Yeah. If... Well, yeah. <laughs> it's tough when they interleave. They need like a you know last time, and then they show you some other show, and then say meanwhile, and then go into this show. He's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So. It was when, you know, when Ezra had that bad burrito and he was trapped in the trash compactor, you know, oh, okay, okay. So that's when that happened. So you get a better idea of the time <laughs> versus, you know, just going episode to episode. It's like, wait, where does this take place? Did they mention something casually going on? Yeah, there's there's lots of lots of uh, five second rewinds on, in, in either the book or these series when, when all of a sudden, all, it, where did they get that sword from? What? What? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It does all tie together, though. Like, it really, yeah. I think especially it is definitely long past time to consider the elements from the cartoon series as, you know, major and important critical canon for mm-hmm. what's happening in the, in the Disney plus series. Cause it's definitely helpful for the, the Disney plus shows, but I mean, like it's really like introductions of characters and, you know, backstories and yeah, it's, there's just, a, there's a lot of stuff there that you're going to miss out on if you don't watch. That's true. And well, I mean, so, I mean, that's kind of funny thing is like now people are going to watch this Obi-Wan Kenobi show and they're going to see these three Inquisitors and not really make the connection that you and I are making with them now. Right. Yeah. Although it's funny because the other thing that that is factored into it, you know, Disney announcing that everything is canon has never been more relevant because there's also stories about these characters from the comic books that are relevant. And beyond that, Jedi Fallen Order, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which was the video game that came out two and a half years ago, has a big storyline that involves some of these characters. So, right. it, you know, it, it's all tied together. Like the, the the piece in the trailer they show where they show this sort of like, you know, weird uh, pyramid type building sticking out in the middle of the water. That's straight out of, of Jedi Fallen Order. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting that you know you know they're they're tying all these elements together for sort of the completists i just hope they don't leave people behind who aren't right yeah well we can ask Jaime or xavier afterwards yeah <laughs> speaking of you know franchises that aren't star trek yeah well trailers 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 so just this morning we got a new trailer for the new game of thrones series house of dragons Again, uh, definitely more fulsome trailer than we had seen previously. Previously, all we had sort of gotten with these sort of uh, weird atmospheric, you know, uh, people with blonde hair standing on a beach kind of kind of things. This one, a little bit more so, you know, some of the characters, a little more of the setting, trying to sort of get a little more to it. Still a little cryptic, not exactly. Uh, I mean, for the for the GOT heads out there, there's you know obviously you can parse the heck out of this stuff. We do know again it's a prequel. Everybody knows that Jonathan loves prequels. Um, you know we know some of these characters. We know some of the history from the stuff that that uh, George R. R. Martin's already written. So people are already putting this stuff together and, and breaking it down and figuring it out and all that. But I um, I don't know. Again, I like that at least at least. In this case, it's not like one generation before. I honestly feel like that was the biggest flaw, has been the biggest flaw in a lot of prequels is where they try and sort of tie it together with, you know, oh, it's just a generation before. So you get to meet everybody's father, you get to meet everybody's mother and find out where they came from. Like, I don't care. 
this one is at least a hundred years before. So yes, of course it's the same world. Yes, of course there are similar settings in that, but it really is its own unique thing. And it is set during a time period that they've established was, you know, pretty important where, you know, the dragons were critical to ruling and the Targaryens from which Daenerys, uh, you know, eventually was spawned as, you know, the ruling house. And, you know, so it, it really is a different piece of the, the Game of Thrones world. So I think it's going to be good. And I mean, you know, HBO doesn't make a lot of bad series. So I, th- I think it's going to be good. But I don't know. What did you guys make of this trailer? Was it any more of an enticement? Again, did it change your impressions of it at all? Hmm. You go, I mean, I didn't watch it. I think it could be interesting. It's just hard to get a little into it just given that um you know the 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 last season ended so so weirdly it almost feels like don't hurt me again <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's kind of had to prove itself so i might lost two yeah i don't know if i'll uh if i'll watch on on day one kind of depends on what else is going on with hbo max um or if i'll chicken out and say i'll wait till everybody else watches it and then if they say it's good i'll, I'll watch it otherwise haha, i saved the time i didn't have to watch it <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at right now that's not to say it will be bad or anything it's just you know kind of kind of hesitant about it well we're at that part of the show where we start talking about the star trek stuff and this week we have two star treks one ending and one beginning and um so i'm going to cover the picard um, a finale called Farewell, and surprise, surprise, we have two episodes in one in this one. So kind of a weird, weird episode in that, you know, it kind of ended in the middle and then kind of ended again in the end, you know, because it has, it had two sort of storylines to wrap up, I guess. So, and, and it was, I think, roughly a little bit longer than an hour, but I can probably tell you what happened in about 10 minutes. So <laughs> let's go. Um, so we start off, you know, the, 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 the crew has lost their ship, uh, you know, Queen Agnes has taken it off and, and run away with it. So Picard is reminiscing about the bullet holes in the walls in Chateau Picard that are in fact the same bullet holes that were there when he was, when, uh, he remembered as a kid. So weirdness, but, uh, there you go. So, so they assume they're in the same, they're in the right timeline or things are starting to come back together uh, a bit. And as you guys left off in the last episode, they were trying to, a puzzle through what this uh, comment about the fact that there need to be two Renes, one that lives and one dies, which is what Queen Agnes, the puzzle that Queen Agnes leaves them with. And I like Jonathan's comment from last week where that, you know, we almost need to have um, the Seth Green character. Is that the character from um, the Austin Power series? Just, just kill him. (laughs) Don't have to explain to him what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So we need someone like that in this show. So meanwhile, so the whole team sort of uh, quickly, you know, big pens or, or uses, Helen has this big pen that she flicks that they all uh, transport into her, her place. Um, she hands them a bunch of Romulan tricorders and says they're probably just like the ones you guys, you know, you guys are using, so they should be fine for you. And they've all got this sort of plan that they're going to go to Sing, Sung's house to stop him because they're getting these signals from Sung's house that, that uh, that's where the action is. And so they're going to jump over there and get him. And, um, Talon sort of says, no, I'm going to go to the launch. Um, I'm going to be closer to Renee for this this thing and uh, make sure that she's doing what she needs to do. And um, she kind of gives uh, Picard the evil eye, going, not now, we'll talk about it later. And um, as she beams away, Picard steps into her beam and, and disappears with her. So, and, and, of course, we have the title scene at this point. And uh, they're confronting, she, she confronts him saying, what are you doing here? And 
you know, why are you here? And he's like, I know what you're doing. I don't want you to sacrifice yourself for her. And, you know, so he's, he tries to convince her not to, not to do this. And she's, you know, my fate is not for you to decide sort of uh, attitude. And, uh, you know, it reminds him that, you know, all this sort of wanting to be the white knight and you know, ride in and save the day, you know, like is sort of a reflection on his mother that, you know, it's not your fault that people die and it's not your fault that your mother died, you know, even though, you know, that this this is the case and don't worry about me. This is my choice. This is what, this is my, I'm doing my job. Right. So leave me alone. Meanwhile, at, you know, Sing's, Sung's house, the team beams in, you can hear Sung's voice um, as Rafi and Seven and Rios arrive. And he's tricked them because he's not there. It's just a tape recorder. It's the, you know, little cassette, little cassette trick running, um, cassette tape player, you know, playing his voice in the background. And um, so, because, of course, he's he's at the launch as well. And um, so he's got this, uh, he set up four drones that are going to go and attack the ship. And uh, so they need to figure out how to hack into his system. And, of course, Rios is the, the hack master. And she's going to, you know, dive in and try and take over these four droids. Um Back at the launch site, Talon, we see a bunch of um, technicians running around in red red jumpsuits, and I kind of wondered to myself for about a split second, going, "I wonder what Talon's going to do." Next thing, next scene, you see her; she's donned a red jumpsuit, and she's going to impress one of the the, the dress crew that helped the astronauts get ready. Um, mean, Soong is is there as well, and he's insisting on having. Uh, he's got this this um, administrative uh, person who's he's towing him around and. He insists on having five minutes of FaceTime with the launch crew. He wants to obviously go in and uh, get his chance to attack um, or do something to um, Renee, Renee Picard. Um, so meanwhile, so Talon, Talon walks into Renee's room, her, um, dressed as her um, her suit person and her suit up suit up person. And you know, of course, as soon as um, Renee realizes this is not her regular person, Maya. She says, "Who are you? Where's Maya? What what have you done with Maya?" Kind of thing, and and uh, you know, BS. I know everybody that's on the on the suit up crew, and you're you're definitely not one of them. Um, soon at the, at this point, also starts to diss the the escort. He's you know this milk toast escort escort that's been wandering wandering around with him, and walks away from her to go to to the crew area himself. Uh, back in their dress room, Talon, Talon tells Renee a big long a long story about how, you know, stories about her from her youth and how she, you know, how they have in fact met several times and uh, convinces her that, that, you know, she's in fact been her guardian angel the whole time and, you know, not the angel part, but the guardian part, keeping an eye on her, making sure that she gets to this point in, in her, her career. And, um... At the same time, the it's at Soong's place. The meanwhile, at Soong's place, the uh, the the Soong headquarters, um, the drones are starting to launch one at a time to try and defeat. You know, like Soong's kind of you know anticipated that they might try to disrupt the the drones from taking off. So Rafi gets you know a lot of under a lot of pressure to get that done, and, and she managed manages to get manual access control for for Rios to take over and, and fly these things. Um, back in the dress room, Talon tells Renee that you need to trust me right now. Um, and, uh, so we see Soon coming down the hallway towards, towards where, uh, Renee's room is. And, and you see, I'm doing air quotes, Renee comes out, uh, and says, there's some crazy woman in my room. She's trying to stalk me. And so Soon takes her, you know, touches her cheek and takes her aside and, you know, speaks to her about, you know, oh, we'll, we'll get you to the launch bay and, and 
you will be fine and all that kind of stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Rio has has taken control over the uh, the drones and they're flying towards the the rocket ship. And of course, uh, Rio is able to take them out and you know has one attack the other three and and uh, neutralize them. And uh, Soong uh, explains to Renee, who's not the you know Alan dressed as Renee, that um, she's made her face look like Renee's. Uh, that you know he's applied a neurotoxin to her. You know, by touching her on it with his, he had it on his palm of his hand with a little rubber, you know, gasket there, and you know it's it's deadly and and uh, you know it's fatal. You're going to die. And so she calls out to Picard and and uh, you know tells him it's too late to to rescue her and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, so so they're together in 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 the same space. He's he's met up with her and she tells him it's too late and there's nothing he can do and there's no magic Romulan solution to to solve this problem. No equipment he can use, and so meanwhile they see the rocket launch, and that's kind of sort of the anticlimactic part of the episode where okay, the the problem is solved. She's she's up in space, and you know they've def- defeated uh, defeated um, Soong and gotten Renee up into space, and of course, but that's only halfway through the show. We still have a whole other show to go through. Uh, so Talon, you know, dies in his hands, but as she's dying, she tells him that you know some of the secrets we keep are, are worthless and. Um, you know, she's glad she had a chance to talk to Renee and introduce herself and maybe she'll remember me and, and she advises Picard that now that he's, you know, realized that the death of his mother wasn't his fault, he can absolve himself of his guilt and move on with his life and, uh, sort of thing, right? Uh, soon realizes that he's been duped, that, you know, he's at, he's back at his house and he realizes that, uh, that, uh, Renee's on the ship and, you know, that they, they must have fooled, fooled him somehow and, uh, he starts to notice on his computer making noises, and he realizes that the computer, the files on his computer are being deleted. And so we flash over to Corey, who's got the Microsoft HoloLens on, and she's uh, she's happily deleting his files remotely. And uh, so Soong reaches, Soong's you know a little upset that he's lost this thing, but he reaches into his uh, his drawer there and pulls out a a paper. Um, secret file, you know, like one of those you know, top secret type envelope things, you know, the little wire thing that you tie around the back, and on it it says Project Khan, which we kind of makes us wonder, hmm, what else has he got? Maybe that's what his superhuman thing was about, was uh, doing that. Maybe that's going to be next season? Who knows? Nah, I think it's supposed to be foreshadowing for this guy was such a scum weasel that he was also involved in the creation of the eugenics program that is part of the 21st century in Star Trek lore. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Corey, now that she's, she's solved her problems and deleted all the files and for her sister's sake, um, she's walking around and, uh, who should appear in, in her view, but none other than Dr. Who traveler through space and time. Oh, sorry. Uh, Wesley Crusher <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Wesley Crusher, you know, he, he formerly known as Wesley Crusher. She's now just, you know, it's just this, this secret, you know, tram traveler type dude. Um, and so he does his big long pitch, uh, about, you know, how the, uh, he, he runs the supervisors, which I think, I believe Talon was the supervisor too, right? And, um, so they, they, bear, they basically make sure that the timelines stay, you know, stable and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And he explains to her what, what, uh, you know, he's, why he's interested in her. And so he offers her a red pill or a blue pill and where <laughs> <laughs> she decides to take the red pill and join him in the in the uh, which I guess is going to be another spin-off in a couple of years. So uh so she, so they beam off to uh 
And I, I think I believe it's a, the the next generation theme is played as they beam off into wherever they're beaming off into. Um, so they're Rick and Morty so, style adventures. <laughs> That's kind of how I imagined it. Yeah, exactly. So Rios uh, has collected all the gear or butterflies, as he calls them, like all the transporters and communicators, all the stuff they left lying around, you know, at their various missions, and and they're back at. Uh, I think they're at, they're at Chateau Picard, I guess. No, they're at Hallam's place. And um, so, you know, like, they're all trying to figure out, like, how how, do, you know, how are we going to survive? And what are we going to do now? And how does money even work, says Seven? The woman who was such a, a fan of 20th century technology that she could drive a car the minute she sat in it <laughs> doesn't know how money works? What? You know, maybe maybe when be they honest, mortified her. I've she... been working in financial services for years. I barely know how money works. Like, it <laughs> really works. Not like in a, you know, there's some cute example of a dog who noticed like, hey, so he saw all these college students handing these green leaves as far as he's concerned to the person at this booth and they gave him food. So he's like, hey, I'm going to try giving them a green leaf. <laughs> and, and they gave him food. So guess what? He learned how money works as far as he knows, but... He didn't actually learn how money works. Right. So you never learned, you never saw the lemonade stand uh, movie when you were a kid in school. All right. Um, I think, I think at Burger King training, they showed us a lemonade stand movie. So we'd understand, you know, that you have lemons, you have water and whatever. Um, So Rafi and Seven have a moment to themselves. And, you know, Rafi says, well, it'd be really nice if instead of all your your Borg issues, and now that you've been Borgified, maybe you can forget about the Borg and focus on me now, right? And, of course, you know, Seven and Rafi, Seven takes Rafi in her hands and kisses her on the face and and on the lips. And uh, so Rafi's like, what does this mean? And so on and so forth. And Seven's like, just let it breathe, you know, like, just stop trying to figure things out. Let it go. So then we see Picard walking around with a skeleton key and puts it behind the brick so that he, as a young kid, can find it later on, you know, and help his mother. Out of it's strange room. because he does say in a previous episode, he says that key was popping up all over the place. No, like, he said that in this episode, which I thought was really strange that, that he like, how could he as a kid know about this key if he's just hiding it for himself now? Yeah. 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 That's that's a paradox. Yeah. There's a bunch. Believe me, I've got a laundry list here. Well, I mean, yeah, and and this is this is sort of a. Um, it was better than than you know, um, Revenge of the Sith, and that it wasn't just a checklist of things that they had to check off, but it was True. very much a checklist, right? So, yeah. so anyway, so he find, after he's done this, he uh, he meets up with Q, and Q, you know, tells him, you know, he's dying and he's leaving, and and Picard says, "What does this mean?" and and he says, finish the statement. Okay, what does it mean to me? Sort of thing. And he sort of tells him a bunch of different things about, you know, the sort of relationship that they've had over the 30 years and that kind of stuff. And, you know, Talon is all, always dies in every timeline. This is the only one where she meets Renee, he tells her, tells him. Um, and why, why me? Why for 30 years are you, are you, are you chasing me? And, and um, uh, Q says, I'm going to die alone, and I just don't want you to die alone like I'm dying, right? Um, you know, and, and, you know, Picard's like, well, what's the purpose of my living? Like, is it because of something that has to, am I required to be in this, you know, to be around, to do this kind of, and he was like, get over yourself. Like, why does everything have to be so of such galactic importance kind of thing? And he says, the reality is you matter to me. And like, you know, like, like kings have favorites, you are my favorite. And so he says, I have one last surprise to leave you with. And so in, in the garden, the, the, the crew meet up with Q and of course, you know, um, Rafi's like the mother, f- 
And then they, you know, like, you know, like, and Seven says, you know, let's hear what he has to say before you kill him kind of thing, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then he tells him that he's going to send them back. He's going to snap his fingers and back to go to the, now, I guess that now that they've righted all the things that they needed to write, he's, he's going to send them back and, and at the same time sort of end his life. This is sort of last, you know, last move. And he's going to leave them with one little, um, one little surprise, and so are are your guys ready? Your bags are packed. You're ready to go. And Rio says, "Well, no, I'm I'm not going. I'm going to stay here with Teresa and Ricardo." And uh, he says, "You know, when Picard asks him about, it, he says, well, I never really seem to fit. I, you know, kind of wander around on my ship by myself, and I don't think I'll be any particular loss to the timeline if I if I go forward. Maybe this was the way it was supposed to be all this whole time." And but as they're saying goodbye, Picard walks up to Q and gives him a big, you know, Q a big hug and. That kind of stuff, and then then the snapping happens, um, and we're back for back on episode one, where the stargazer is about to blow up, and the countdowns, you know, ten, nine, eight, and uh, "No Je Ne Regret" is playing. Um, Edith Piaf's song is playing in, over over top of the whole destruction sequence, and Picard realizes what's going on, and and says to the computer, "Cancel auto destruct," and tells everybody to stand down and stop shooting at the the Borg Queen who's still got her tendrils into the consoles of the of the ship, if you remember from episode one, and he tells says, Let the Queen proceed with, with whatever she wants to do and is like the song No Regrets. Um I th- she's had four hundred years to reconsider what's going on here and, and uh you know, he says, you know, I I believe, you know, you're this is what you're doing and, and the reveal is that the reveal the the face of the Queen kind of reveals that it's in fact Agnes is the queen, and uh, or you know the conglomeration of the Borg Queen and Agnes in the same body, and um, and she you know the song was meant to, was played by the queen to calm Picard to remind him of of his youth and that kind of stuff, and and uh, you know admits that she's still partly Agnes on the inside kind of thing, right? And so what's the point of this whole thing? Like why why did you know you called me he called she called Picard to this to this uh quadrant because, you know, he would understand and, and now that he's gone and had this little adventure, he will trust her. Um, which we gotta try and connect those dots now that I think about it. Um there's a basic apparently a massive a massive uh anomaly with a massive spike in neutrinos in the middle of the middle of the region where they are and so let the queen, you know, this is why the queen assumed control of all the ships is that she needed to basically build a big giant shield. So she's going to use all the, coordinate all the shields on the, the various uh, starships as well as the Borg ship to try and um, to control this whole situation. And uh, so he, Picard at the, at the same point does a field commission and, and I think he appointed seven captains. She sits in the middle of the chair, so. Yeah, it doesn't really he, say captain, but he does let her sit in the big seat. Yeah, and then she starts calling out all the orders to everybody, and and tells the tells the Starfleet to let full control to the Borg before they try and blast her out of the air. And of course, you get all this, the shields going, and this one particular ship is always one is out of sync. And of course, it's the Excelsior, and of course they they you know, communicate with the Excelsior, and of course it's Cadet Elnor. Surprise, surprise! And he's in he's in charge of communications, I guess, over there. And he's like, "How did I get here? I was just you know shot dead a minute ago." Um, and so apparently this is the surprise from, from Q. Anyway, so the anomaly starts to blast at them and, and the, the shield deflect it. And when all said and done and the thing finishes, uh, they realize that there's, it's created a twins warp conduit. And, um, the board queen explains that there's some sort of threat on the other side. And, and, uh, so the, you know, she wants to, 
let them have the Borg be the guardians at the gate and stay here and protect the, this thing and, and ask basically to, to join the Federation as a sort of temporary measure. So we end on Guinan's 10 forward, um, remember, is this on Earth? Where's is, where is her Guinan's bar? Yeah, it's, I think yeah. it's back in California, yeah. And so she's like, um, telling, you know, telling Picard, I couldn't tell you what I knew because, you know, you would, you would, it would wreck everything and ruin the surprise for you. And, uh, he says, you're, you're, she says, you're pretty dumb. You haven't even noticed this picture here. It's been sitting here this whole time. And it's a picture of Rios and, and Teresa. And, uh, she tells about how they, they started this Mariposa mission, you know, to sort of run around and save all the old people around them, provide healthcare. And Mariposa is, of course, butterfly. Spanish. And thank you. Um, thank you very much. Call back. Yeah. And then she, um, <laughs> he asks, of course, how they, how they died. And, you know, you know, Teresa dies of old age, but Rios, of course, dies in a Moroccan bar fight over, over medical supplies. And, uh, so the crew all toast each other and, um, uh, Picard says, I, I got a, one more thing to do. And he goes to the Picard Chateau. So he meets up with Laris and she's restored the, uh, the solarium greenhouse slash thing and, um, tell, you know, she's still leaving her bags are packed. And, uh, so he admits that he was wrong and, and, uh, you know, that uh, maybe people can give time, can't give a second chance, but maybe people can. And we fade out and with the two of them sort of, you know, in an, in a, a friendly embrace and unclear whether, you know, she's going to continue to leave. She's going to give him a second chance. I don't know. But, uh, I, the assumption, I guess, is that she's going to leave and go off on her adventures and leave him to rot like an old man. Yes. <laughs> And that's how the episode ends, sort of. Like any good like, cybernetic bodied uh, old man. Yeah, well, I mean, so, and so it's kind of, it's a bit like the, like, like Jaime said, the, the, you know, the Return of the King um, episode where, of Lord of the Rings, where there's like 27 endings, you know. Oh, yeah. In this case, there were three, but, but it did, it did feel like, you know, I looked at the time on the, the, the thing after the, after the Renee launch and, and that concluded, that part of the time, the story concluded. I looked at the time and realized I'm only halfway through the show. So there you go. That was my 10 minute review of a two hour show or one hour show. Yep. So what do you got? What What are your problems with this besides the ones? That <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm sure Jaime's got a bunch of these too, but, uh, okay. So let's, let's start with, um, uh, Talon's death. So the whole sort of thing was, well, you know, only one person can survive, you know, there has to be two, two versions of Renee. So one can die and one can live and one can carry out the mission. But did she really, you know, when she sees, when she walks up and she's come out and she's disguised as Renee and she sees, uh, uh, coming towards her, she could have killed him. She could have killed him. Yeah. She could have just up and killed him. Really? Like, Mm-hmm. What what would pre- prevent that? Why did she have to die? So to me, it just seemed like wildly unnecessary, overly wrought writing to have her die. Yeah. Just because that fulfills this inane prophecy that, she, that never made sense to begin with. That's mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Cause, and also, did we know that she could transmorgify into other people at, at any point? I mean, I mean, she could change her years. Yeah. I, I think we're supposed to, yeah, we're supposed to take it that she could. Takes the polyjuice know, somewhat, potion, but we don't see that, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's a, a Rios scene missing where we kind of needed more from, you know, I guess we're supposed to take it from like the previous episode where the Rios and Teresa kiss 
and that's supposed to be like, and now we're together forever. But I felt like, and he's like, makes the decision to stay. Shouldn't we have seen like him being like, Hey baby, can I stay here in the past with you? I don't know. It just felt like there was something missing there. He, mm-hmm. he was really backseat other than the piloting the drones thing. He was really backseat in this episode until that point. And it felt glaring by omission that there wasn't something to indicate. I mean, I think we all knew that was coming, but I feel like, it would have been nice to have a little more closure with Rios as the character. I mean, we watched him for two years. It's yeah. weird to have him just sort of step up and be like, I'm staying now. That brings me to my next frustration. Well, so, which was, so is he going to be, is he going to show up in the Picard movie in the middle of the movie when the, when all is lost and he's going to swoop in with the millennium Falcon and well, save the day? Clearly not. He's dead. He died in a bar fight. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, so his, his, <laughs> he says, I've decided to stay. And, Picard, looking very concerned, says, Chris, you know you can't do that. And he goes, no, but I want to. And he goes, okay. Like, what the, what, what, what kind of nonsensical, like, argument about interfering with the timeline is that? He's like, but I want to. And he, Picard's like, okay. Like, yeah, but Wesley it, will come and fix it, though, right? But it just seems so nonsensical. Like, every bit of these things, they're like, oh, you can't, you got to be careful. They're like, packing up all the stuff, can't leave it behind. But I would just leave Rios behind. That's fine. You can, you can take all the technology with us, but let's leave Rios behind. What could go wrong? Okay. Yeah, at least if, like, you compare it with, um, remember what their, their plan was in Star Trek First Contact. They said, okay, we're screwed. The Borg have taken over the Enterprise. Let's blow it up. You know, we take the escape pods and we go find like some uninhabited islands or some middle of nowhere part of like New Zealand or something and try not to interact with the timeline. Yep. The only way that Rios being in the past makes acceptable sense is if he didn't know diddly squat about what was going to happen. (laughs) Which he does. He's really good at, you know, he's really good at piloting, but man, he just did not show up during history class, you know, so he, he can't pollute the timeline because he knows nothing that's that's concretely going to happen in the near term. Yeah, which is particularly funny. I don't know which order you guys watch these in, but we get, uh, not to spoil too much ahead for the, the Strange New Worlds, but we see a little history lesson from Captain Pike, who's like, this is how bad things were in the 21st century. Yeah, and you see, yeah. like, wastelands and nuclear bombs going off, and you're just like... So Chris kind of had a rough time. This was a bold choice for love. Oh yeah, knowing that knowing you're going to go into that, yeah, true. Like he knows that there was going to be like civil war number two in the United States, followed by World War Three, followed by nuclear war, followed by like it's a rough twentieth century, twenty uh, first century. He really kind of has like that's a lot to give up from you know staying in the past. But all right, so my. My ultimate one for this episode, and I don't mean to pick too much. It was it was an okay ending. It wasn't it wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't terrible. It was a little quick. I think it was same. You know, uh, the Jaime Lopez hold my beer. Uh, let's wrap this all up episode. But the whole Laris Talon looking alike thing was never resolved at all yeah. at all in yeah. any way, shape, yeah. or form. It's just a coincidence that they're both Romulan and look identical and it's never addressed or resolved what the heck like mm-hmm, <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. that made uh, all i could think in this episode was well it must come to a point where you know talon's gonna survive and then in the future we're gonna find out laris is actually 
you know, has lived this long or is, you know, descended or was like snapped away as part of the mission and ended up in the future. I don't know what I was looking for, but it sure as hell wasn't. Never mind. <laughs> Just yeah. don't worry your pretty little heads about it. Like what? Oh, well, she spoke with an American accent that only broke like 45 times over the last two episodes. But either way, it's, uh, it's clearly a different character. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I feel like there's an out of universe reason why they went this way, but I've got a, I've got a way to handle that out of universe reason. So in universe, it's a little bit weird that like, Oh, so Picard, what, what changed your opinion? Because you were just like going to let me walk. Well, I, I spent the last, you know, handful of days lovingly gazing at somebody else who looks exactly like you for no good reason. And, and now <laughs> I've realized the error of my ways. I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess good, because clearly I was into you, but kind of a weird, creepy reason for you to be into me now. <laughs> yeah. And he was gone for 15 minutes. It wasn't like he was gone for like, you know, months at a time right yeah um i think the out of universe reason is i think they tried to keep like a bubble cast or something for um for the show oh yeah that would be a pandemic but here's my answer to that i'm like oh so she plays this alien guess what put some loaf on her (laughs) and and say hey it's the same actress and people like hey is that like her i was like no it's 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 zingdorf you know oh okay zingdorf (laughs) with like the weird green stuff on his face okay cool and and he can clearly make himself look like somebody else like it didn't have to look like her didn't have to be a story reason to look like her you can have the actress i get it you want to have like laris appear and like what the hell do we do it's like okay just have her play multiple parts there you go or, or again, just change them subtly enough so that you understand that he has feelings for both of them. And so there is a f- similarity there or whatever. But don't go to the point of him being like, oh, you look exactly like her. Oh, coincidentally, you're also a Romulan. They have that reveal where first it's like, oh, but you're human. Oh, you couldn't possibly be her. And then she's like, oh, but you got one right. I am actually a Romulan. Give me a break. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, that 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 was an idea that that somebody should have put the kibosh on in the in the writing room and they're like, yeah, this part doesn't make sense. Let's smooth it over with another revision. Yeah, that uh that one's going to sit awkwardly with me for a while and and I I it does kind of take the luster off the season for me because it just makes no good sense. Now, I say that maybe there's some fantastic story that's going to come in season three that's going to explain it all, but I don't think that's true. I think that we were just supposed to take it as a coincidence, which makes no sense at all. Okay, cool. And I think they should have kissed at the end because they almost kissed in episode one. And I think to tie a bow on that, it would have been stronger if that had well, happened. What's it mean? Mm. Like the whole, the, she, she, like she sees him taking off in the ship in the first episode and then, you know... Uh, without explanation, and then and then she's packed her bags and she's leaving. I mean, theoretically, he's only been gone for ten minutes, right? Mind you, he did stop and have a bar, a drink at the bar with Guinan, which might have tiffed her, her off. But um, <laughs> you know, but but like he's not been gone that long that you know she would have you know had time to sort of make this life changing decision. And then again, I just love this this fact that these these two people who are in this relationship never discuss. You know, not that I know anything about that, but. They never discuss what each other's plans are. They just kind of, you know, he jumps in a plane and goes off to, jumps in a shuttle and goes off to, to save the universe. And, you know, she's going to go off on her own adventures and, and abandon him, essentially. Because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, she's his assistant, right? 
You know? Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, like he's he's gonna have to go hire another Romulan, sexy Romulan-looking woman to hire to help him at his chateau, right? The only thing that came of this episode that I felt strongly about was, oh, that's why they didn't get Will Wheaton for the next season when they're reuniting the original crew. Although that whole scene was weird. Yeah, like why was that even necessary? Like, um, it was not. It was completely just to get Will Wheaton a cameo in Picard. Oh, really? I think so. Did, did you guys think that that served a great, a greater purpose? I mean, Corey has theoretically lived her entire life in like her dad's basement. Her dad yeah. was a monster. Yeah. She's yeah. got this cure that Q provided her with. She she got the last shot in by like destroying all of her dad's files. If she just goes off and like lives a happy life, I think that's perfectly fine. I would have been fine with her just like walking out into the sunshine where we knew she couldn't previously go and like putting on a pair of sunglasses and walking down the street. That would have been a perfectly fine ending for that character. Did we need to have Traveler Wesley Crusher come back? No, that was just to try and pay back the setup of that from 1989. Wait, how was that set up in 89? Well, because he goes out, he remember he in the is the first season or first season or second season he has the episode where he meets the traveler, right? the the guy oh, who pushes okay. the ship beyond, and then later on when he comes back in season I want to say five or six he ends up basically joining the travelers, right? Like that oh, that sort of pays off, and that would have been like ninety two, ninety three, somewhere in there, ninety two. Uh, he has that. I'm going off to because he he comes back. He comes back as the episode where he comes back to the Enterprise and he's kind of pissy and he's not happy with mm-hmm. having gone to the Academy and he's not sure what he wants to do with his life and it's all disaffected. And then the travelers basically come back again and say like, "Hey, join us." And he's like, "Cool." And he does that, and yet still somehow shows up for Riker and Troy's wedding in episode uh, movie ten. So I don't I don't know. I'm not sure how travelers get around but yeah it just it just seemed like a really random weird coincidence that he was like theoretically he would been like working with talon part of that group yeah yeah and then to have it pay off like that i don't know it just it was weird it was all weird yeah all right well let's move on to the new star trek new old star trek no are we gonna or do moon knight now or star trek Star Trek. yeah we'll do star trek in the moon knight Yep, season one, episode one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, entitled Strange New Worlds. It uh, it starts off uh, with a first contact, but from the other side's perspective, right? We, we've got the bunker, we've got alarms going off, we got, hey, you know, our satellites picked up something, it's really weird, and there you go, there's a, there's a space saucer uh, there, right? It's the, a Starfleet vessel. We leave from that, cut over to Bear Creek, Montana, where... Uh, uh, I put here the Captain Batal love shack and the day the earth stood still. So when, you know, after Captain Pike rocked her world, he said, like, I'm really deep into irony. So I'm going to watch the day the earth stood still as I make some breakfast. Yep. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a, a grizzled man who has clearly not shaven for a while. He's, he's, he's Colin Bohannon is who he is. That's the character from the show he was on before Star Trek. Oh, really? I I didn't. Yeah. Because he looked like that with a big beard and scruffy, you know, Montana kind of look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, you know, he's out there living his his uh, his life of, of avoiding answering the phone, which means that as he's, you know, out there enjoying riding his horse, um, Starfleet intentionally buzzes them, <laughs> the shuttlecraft, just like a, we are here, 
you don't picking up the phone. We're going to scare your horse kind of thing. And they, uh, you know, they're like, look, we, we know you've still got time off, but, uh, you know, from the, the disco mission and stuff, but like, you're going to want to take this job right now because, uh, Una number one's last transmission from the first contact, you know, we, we don't have contact with them anymore. She's, she's out. Right. And, and unfortunately the enterprise is still in space dog getting, you know, fixed up from the, the pew pew pews with control and disco. Um, so they'll, they'll leave a little bit early, but man, I don't, I was wondering if those torpedoes weren't going to arrive till Tuesday because, you know, they're, <laughs> they're leaving earlier than they should. Um, and, uh, you know, we cut over to, to Vulcan, uh, city Rawl, where, where Spock is uh, being kind of a weirdo, querying to Pring about her, her romantic intent. And she does have romantic intent. She's like, you know, we're supposed to be betrothed. Will you marry me? Um, they, they have a little PDA, but Vulcans do not like this because they know in their logical minds that PDA, uh, that's public displays of affection for you kiddos, inevitably leads to knocking, knocking those Starfleet regulation boots. And they're, they're going to, they're going to, and, uh, you know, he gets the that a first contact joke. <laughs> it was not, but that's, uh, it was, no, you know what it's, you know what that's a, that'd be a good one for, uh, undiscovered country, right? The, uh, the, the boots, the, um, magnetic boots, knocking those regulation magnetic boots. Boldly go where no one has gone before is, uh... <laughs> Oh, there's so many dirty Star Trek jokes waiting. So many of them. Well, let me continue with these ones where, you know, phone call happens. She's like, please, please don't answer that. Come on, dude. And he's like, no, man, it is my duty to please that booty. But I must also answer the call of duty. (laughs) (laughs) He answers Pike. And Pike's like, are you naked, dude? Like, why did you answer the video without a shirt on? And I'm thinking the same thing, too. If like, dude, I... If I had to answer a Zoom, I would not answer with video. I'd be like, this is an audio-only <laughs> call. <laughs> and just say, hey, like, I'm, I'm indisposed at the moment, but what's up? Um, it's just glad they're not in the 30th century, like, the Discovery crew, where they just pop in and they're, like, practically standing there, right? Yeah, was, hey, he showed up. Oh, oh, I didn't realize. My bad. It's like, really? You, 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 you didn't see the little, you know, transporter signal thing? Do not disturb? You just you just click that bypass button, huh? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you know, so it's the recruitment thing, right? And uh, eventually, we get to see a a, a clean shaven Pike. He's on the on the shuttle Stamets, which I caught. Uh, yep. You know, being taken to one of those beauty passes of the Enterprise, a bit reminiscent of uh, other things we've seen, like out of uh, TMP. And we get a okay, bit- but. But 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 shortened by about eight minutes. <laughs> oh, they've learned. They're like nobody's gonna watch twenty minutes of this. It's not as cool in two thousand twenty-two as it probably was in the seventies, right? Like, um, okay. One question though. So uh, they f- the shuttle flies into space dock, and then they beam him off from the shuttle. What was the point of flying him up there? Why wouldn't they just beam him? I was wondering about that too, and wondered if it was like. A weird naval tradition, the, the same way that in Star Trek Generations they use the um, the champagne bottle that they break on the uh, on the bow of the ship, which doesn't like. But it's not his first time on the ship or anything. He's just is he supposed to be doing an inspection from out in the exterior? Like, oh, good job patching those holes, guys. Let's go. Yeah, I wonder if it was like a weird naval tradition. And I'm not in the navy. I don't know if they do ceremony type stuff when a captain takes command because he 
it temporarily was no longer in command of Enterprise because it was out of commission, right? As it was getting uh, right, right. repaired. So if anybody knows and has that sort of military experience, I I can understand the logic here that you're saying of like, if you've got the ability to beam, why just beam over there and it's a ship you've been on before. I don't know if there's some sort of weird like, you know, we do this, you get a box of chocolates <laughs> and a commemorative pan <laughs> as well kind of thing. You know, it's just the thing we do is as, as, as ceremony. Yeah. The out of universe reason was to show off the Enterprise in a in a much uh, you know much shorter fashion than TMP yeah. uh, the motion picture. Yep, yep. Um, and we get a, a bit of a nice little introduction to a big chunk of the crew here, right? We have um, some mention, a little tease of uh, oh, by the way, uh, Lieutenant Kirk and others will have to billet since Enterprise is rushing on a space dock. I am not familiar with the term billet. I looked it up like a good person, and it's apparently a situation where. Soldiers have to stay in non-soldier housing, usually like a personal residence, for reasons, which would make sense here. Of Like, hey, we're rushing out of space dock. These people were coming expecting to stay in Starfleet uh, quarters that are gone. So uh, they're going to have to stay in some sort of you know, civilian capacity while, uh, while we go do our stuff and we'll pick them up on the way back. As a, oh, young, as a young Canadian, young Canadian hockey players also billet for when when they go to tournaments and stuff like that. They they get put up in houses by other fam- other teams' families, and that's called billeting as well. Yeah, and the other way they use billeting is if you are drafted by a team that isn't in your local area, you would billet with a family in the town in which you are playing, or another player. Yeah, yeah, like Sidney Crosby billeted with Mar- Marilyn Mew. Yeah, although in that case he could have had his own place. It just happened to be that way. But in the for the the junior kids, for the sixteen, seventeen year olds that play junior hockey yeah, here, yeah. often it's you know, hey, I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, but I'm going to go play in Belleville, Ontario. I need a family, so they put them up with an actual family so that they're not just you know uh, on their own as as kids. That's true. Gretzky That's did the also same thing in Toronto when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Gretzky did that, right? So when I looked at there you the go. Now you get a little more background, buddy. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense. See, hockey and Star Trek go together. Right? I don't <laughs> know why people don't figure that out. So when I when I searched very quickly, the the dictionary definition came up with the military one. The billet, as you're using it, would make sense given our divergence in uh, you know colonial history. So our Third Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America says here, and I just pulled it up. No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. So essentially, this was getting around the like, hey, the British, the Redcoats, kept doing stuff like, yeah, so guess what, colonist, um, you're going to have to hang on to this soldier and they're going to just stay for free eating your food and pooping in your in your bucket. And uh <laughs> You all <laughs> had a very different departure from the British, so we did not maintain this word. And apparently, you 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 re-adopted it as a as a term for hockey, which would also make sense culturally, because that's what we do with everything. <laughs> Appropriate it and turn it into yeah. a hockey term. Yeah, that and ma- that and maple syrup. That right. That's absolutely. So remember, Lieutenant Kirk, because they they tease a few times before they give us the 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 truth here. Um, we are introduced to, uh, I think these are all lieutenants. I might have screwed up when I wrote it down. Uh, Lieutenant La'an Nunian Singh, Chief Security and uh, Acting First Officer, since number one is uh, is out of commission. 
We have Lieutenant Ortegas at the helm. Lieutenant Redshirt at the ops, because I don't think they gave her a name. (laughs) (laughs) If they do have one, I missed it. And uh, Cadet Uhura at comms uh, to round things out. Anything uh, before we go further here in the story? Anything? uh, Well, I I thought it was interesting that I don't know if. I don't know if you noticed too that that uh, the, the lady playing Ohura, when she gets the communication from Starfleet, she's got the little earpiece that she does, and she touches her ear the same way that that yeah. uh, Nichelle Nichols used to do on the TV show to indicate that she's getting a signal. Because like in the '60s, yeah. like people would have gone, "What's that thing in her ear?" You know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. They did a good job of, of mannerisms. Bo- both the well, all the familiar characters definitely seem to have done some good lessons yep. carry on okay no no cool. i just wasn't sure i mean it was a i think pretty well done introduction to the bridge crew um i think out of universe this is a bit of a um departure from from criticism of discovery of like bro who is everybody except michael and saru right <laughs> who's who which one is bryce and which one is race is like here in very captain pike fashion because he did do that on the disco when he had command in season two um yep. goes through the roll call so we we know who these people are including new people not just you know ones like uhura that we we have known before um but before they you know they jet off onto the mission pike is just lost in this vision of his future that we know that he's going to have and that they showed in, in season two of disco when he went to the uh, time crystal um what was it not a village it was like a monastery or something it was a monastery yeah yeah, yeah. so this is going to be a recurring theme throughout the episode, and I kind of predict this will be a recurring theme throughout the, the season, a sort of like his character arc. Um, so I think they're going to have a lot of episodes that are uh, more episodic, but with the sort of larger arc of, you know, what is destiny? How do you deal with destiny? And, and, and are you of the opinion that you want to know when and how you die? Uh, in this case, not in the literal sense for him, but as he him says himself, uh, and a little bit, uh, a little bit of spoilers here that like he, he's basically dead for who he was before. Like he knows this is coming too. So they warp off. Um, we got the the recap that uh, Starfleet lost contact with the USS Archer at uh, Kylie two seven nine. And Pike ends up, you know, going to his ready room, remembering his destiny, kind of helping us recap what happened to him in season two, and Spock enters the ready room to understand his state of mind because he's like clearly something's up you were you were not acting quite right in uh in the uh on the bridge there and, we and also... nice quarters by the way nice quarters yeah it looks yeah, like it's uh, like ultra modern apartment yeah they uh they may not have installed the torpedoes but they they sure decked out the furnishings uh nicely um, yeah, my my uh, son and I watched it together, and I I could tell him like eyeing it up for a future bachelor pad, the fireplace, the whole thing. It was nice. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's of the era where you could probably you know it's so easy to Google and find what did they do for this. You can probably have people who are providing you know three um, D models that you can three D print some of the pieces that were custom and stuff. So. There's no. Was like, that a holographic fire or was it real fire? And where does the, where does the exhaust go? Yeah, it has a, it had a chimney. So I don't know. Yeah, and like, does it? Is it not like a fire hazard? Hmm. Maybe yes, it is a holographic fire. It, it would make sense if it was. It would make sense if it was. Excuse me, wasn't real just because it, there's there's no logical way to have a fire. 
in a, in a, it's essentially a submarine, right? To like, it mm-hmm. seems like a bad idea. Somebody who has visions of himself burning, like what's the point of having <laughs> live flame in your room? I would have gone for the aquarium. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we do learn that the USS Archer um, is empty as they, they, you know, get to Kylie 279 and, and look for it. It's empty of its three crew complements, which is pretty, pretty light. Yeah, what? Yeah. I guess it's mostly yeah, a big space. ship. How does it run like that? Yeah. A lot of automation for, for most things, I guess. And uh, a lot of sensors, a lot of empty cargo space or something. Cause it, it seems rather big. It just be like a, a shuttle compliment. Um, but the other thing that the crew recognizes, like, Hey, you know, the whole reason that this first contact was even possible is because, you know, when we detect a warp signature, we, we, we go in, we try to say hello. And it's not making sense here. This backwater planet shouldn't have a warp signature. They don't have any of the other things that uh, you would normally expect. So security officer uh, 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 Nan says, we should prepare for the pew pew pews. I recommend we put shields up. And Spock's like, eh, it's not protocol to like be aggressive like that. And Pike leans into it and says, yeah, this doesn't feel right either. Let's go ahead and put shields up. And thankfully they do because, you know, they get attacked by some uh, plasma torpedoes, I think they said. So something that's pretty, pretty primitive from, you know, it, it does some minor damage, but because they had the shields up, thankfully there's no, there's no sort of you know, major damage there. It's a, it's a minor inconvenience. And they realize, oh, this wasn't a warp signature for a warp drive that was detected. It was a warp bomb that has been created here on this backwater planet so that's what accidentally drew the uh, the first contact mission and they do acknowledge it like hey general order one is our prime directive here of like we're not supposed to be messing with other cultures uh how are we gonna go dig around and find our crew on this planet that isn't supposed to yet have access to the the greater outside world and uh that's where we get our opportunity to meet uh uh, Dr. Mbenga and, and Nurse Chapel, as they need to take people down to sick bay to, to apply the face loaf in the, in a genetic sort of way. Um, you know, in, a, in kind of a weird thing, like I always assumed that they just kind of did like plastic surgery when they did this stuff. I had no idea. It was like, oh, this actually changes your DNA <laughs> every time that they've pretended to be some other alien species. And in this. Yeah, I, th- I thought for some reason it was like prosthetic or I don't know what, but yeah, that's that's pretty intense yeah like 3d printed some skin and bone and like grafted it to you and then they'll they'll take it off later i didn't realize that at least this technique involved uh changing your dna um apparently it's painful so most everybody gets a a, a sedative but one that doesn't put you asleep which i i guess is more of a numbing agent than anything else mm-hmm. but uh, blocks your pain receptors or something yeah yeah i thought it was like man like pike's gonna get that sedative and he's sitting up shouldn't he be laying down <laughs> he, go, he takes a little nap for a while but uh more of a more of a, a pain nubbing agent and uh non does not want any of that she's like give me all the pain um then even pike's like you're are you sure about this she's like oh, is this a direct order to take the set he's like no i'm not gonna do that that's that's your decision so this will come up later but it was definitely something that stuck out that you know, she's like, just give it, just give it to me uh, without any sort of way to, to feel less of it. I want to know what the pain is. And they do acknowledge that Spock's uh, Vulcan DNA or half Vulcan DNA makes the 
the process a little more dicey and it's a little less stable. That will come up later in the episode, right? Um, we also learn in this episode that transporters, man, they are a cosplayer's dream because they don't even bother changing <laughs> their clothes. They're like, yeah, the transporter can change your clothes in transport. I'm like, really? Interesting. Yeah, I flagged that one too. Like, that's the first time we've ever seen that. And you'd think that would be a handy thing to know. I don't know why they, it, it almost feels like people enjoy the cosplaying when we've seen on other, you know, other episodes where they actually go through the trouble of putting on clothes. Like, I'm not putting on, you know, this dirty underwear. <laughs> so you're going to have to beam <laughs> that onto me so I don't have to touch it <laughs> any more than I need Spock, to. Yeah, Spock points at the negatives of that where he ends up wearing a pair of like shorts. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem very impressed with. You get, you get surprised, right? He's like, where's my pants? <laughs> Why do I have these little boy shorts? <laughs> And also, if you were the transporter chief, wouldn't you just mess with people a little bit, like have people show up wearing like a tutu or just, you know, something completely out of whack just to mess with them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just uh, begging for practical jokes. I, you know, they, they do some interesting things here with the transporter that, that come up in my description here. So hang tight. Uh, you know, they, they get down to the surface. They realize, yeah, there's all of this like tension going on here. The whole warp bomb thing is because there's like a civil war kind of thing going on. And one side is like, we're going to use this bomb to blow up the other side. So it's like, I wanted to flag at this point, they, they show sort of, I guess, local broadcasting shows the, you know, riots and, and, you know, people in, you know, military uniforms and all that kind of stuff. I didn't spot it the first time, but uh, I'll give credit where credit's due. A number one fan, Xavier spotted that if you slow down and pause over that scene, you can see Ukrainian flags being waved in that scene. And oh. on the footage that they show, you can actually see two different spots where you can see people waving Ukrainian flags or what looks damned like a Ukrainian flag. Mm, I, I, I did not did not notice. He was that. like, is that supposed to be like subtle or unsubtle reference to current political climates or? Yeah, it was subtle enough. I did not notice it. So glad for the glad for the call out there. That's that's where you need that pair of 18 year old eyes. <laughs> they did see in, in 8K, not. Not 1080p like me. Um, uh, so they figure out, you know, where this warp bomb signature is coming from. They can't get into it because it's, you know, shielded in such a way that the transporter can't work. They do figure out how to get inside by, uh, you know, taking the uniforms from some uh, from people who work there. And so we get to see alien abduction from the other side as they, uh, um, you know, they, they, they fight them off. They, they beam them up over to to the enterprise and and take their clothes on on this side um we do learn right because they have to go through this eye scanning thing that uh uh everyone's going to be okay except spock because his you know vulcan dna is not mixing well with the the dna changing mechanism and he's already starting to be a, a little bit problematic and they realize okay he's going to need these eye drops learning how to be able to beam an eyedrop canister to him because he's out in front of the whole world here. But if the transporter chief can beam the eyedrops into his eyes, everything will be good. To which I wrote this note that like, if they can beam eyedrops onto the surface of your eyes, they can definitely eliminate the need for both <laughs> defecation and urination. Closing the loop as to why have we never seen the restroom on the Enterprise? Like, because they don't need it. <laughs> you, you eat as much as you want and it just gets eliminated as, as necessary. <laughs> so, yeah. Fun well done. Them. Well done, Jaime. I just, bravo. Bravo for closing if, that if they one. they can do it with that old school tech, old, old, old school tech in, in TOS, <laughs> they can 
probably like bet good money that they can do it in TNG. And I guarantee you that uh, is he a, a flesh robot or not? Picard never ever thinks about squatting on a toilet because it just <laughs> happens automatically. <laughs> oh man, I love it! I love it. Um, so uh, with Spock. You know, they're in the elevator with a bunch of other people and like his pointy ears are coming back and somebody else notices and they're like, mm, that's kind of weird. And they kind of first to, first, though, she like puts the googie eyes on on uh, Pike, who just has like women all over the place who are interested in him. It's hilarious. The running jokes of like everyone being in love with Pike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a, as a as a dreamy, uh, a, a, a dreamy uh, uh, sex object, no matter what species he he happens to be. Yeah, he's got like all the, you know, all the the artificial DNA in there to change him to look like a person who's from this, you know, strange and, and new world. And women are still like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, their plan is kind of working. They do find the prisoners who were, you know, using a spoon to make a hole to try to make things uh, transportable. You've got Spock who just can't take any more because it's like painful as this this transformation is occurring. He he screams and that alerts some guards. They have to fight. They have to punch their way out. And they do eventually realize um, how this whole thing sort of came to be. And we're like, how the heck did this backwater planet figure out, um, you know, how to create a warp bomb, but they didn't create a warp drive first. And uh, number one, uh, Una says like, well, it kind of turns out that this planet is close enough to where the pew pew pews happen between the USS Enterprise, Discovery, and Control. And the fireworks there were so awesome that even the meager telescopes and telemetry, it's possible for these folks. They couldn't help but notice it. And apparently we're you know, good enough to reverse engineer at least partially what, what could be done with that sort of stuff. So they've you know got this decision here of like, all right, General Order 1 says we shouldn't do anything further. Um, we've already accidentally damaged this culture. But Pike you know, makes a command decisions like, look, man, we already screwed up this culture. Let's see if we can undo the damage. And they, they go with the like, okay, everybody else is beaming out except Pike and Spock. And Pike's like, we're going to go out here and talk to people. Spock says, but I look like an alien. That's the plan, bro. <laughs> and they go out, open up the, you know, the, the doors or elevator or something. They have all the guns in their face. He says, you take me to your leader in the, very 1950s, you know, daily earth sit still kind of way. Yeah, it's a nice callback. But... Yeah, yeah. And and they do have a discussion with the leader. And the leader's like, look, man, your whole thing here is really inconvenient. Like, you know, your whole story here and and you're telling me this war bomb thing is not a great thing. But like, my whole job is to make sure that my side of people continue to survive. And while I can hear what you're saying, I'm I'm not buying into it. You know, the one with the biggest stick wins and uh, Pike does a, a pretty awesome movie. He's like, I got a bigger stick. <laughs> he uses the communicator and tells the Enterprise to come lower into orbit so that they are very clearly visible to the entire populace. And, you know, that's what ends up causing the change, right? Like these two, you know, sides uh, at least have to have some negotiations now, right? Like there, there is a bigger problem uh, or at least a, a resetting of their whole world view when you know yep. an alien spaceship appears out of nowhere it's it's the watchman resolution right uh, so the mm -hmm. the original story for watchman the comic book version 
the whole point of it is that this the, the the quote unquote villain of the story is trying to prevent global Armageddon, and he basically creates something that is going to scare the bejesus out of the entire Earth's populace, so that they will change path. And this is exactly what Pike does, right? Yeah, yeah. Nothing brings people together like being scared. You you need an other in order to to come together. Otherwise. You you look internally and create divisions and artificially have an other. Is uh, it goes way off into politics? I have strong thoughts about this as an American <laughs> and, yep. and how we've lost our other and and have gone internally. Um, but coming back to the episode, um, you know, the Enterprise crew is like, okay, we're kind of seeing how their negotiation stuff is going, and you know, it takes time to set up the meetings and everything. Um, in the meanwhile, well, as we learned that uh, La'an and her family, you know, the whole reason she's kind of messed up is like they were captured by the Gorn. And did you know the Gorn just do all sorts of terrible, horrible things, including treating them uh, like breeding sacks? Did, did anybody else catch breeding sacks? Because that sounds horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. As a, uh, as a thing. But, um, you know, apparently they... Um, Oh, no, we didn't get to that part. I apologize. That's out of order. After the whole breeding sacks and the learning of like her trauma, um, negotiations aren't necessarily going straight and, and to the narrow. Both sides of the alien factions are fighting. So Pike beams in to the negotiations like a boss. He's like, look, I'm going to show you the good and the bad. We were basically like you all. We had internal divisions. We ended up having terrible civil wars. We ended up having you know, these horrible nuclear bombs and she takes over their broadcast stuff and shows their whole populace um, historical imagery of, of what happened. And he's like, look, there's really no fate, but what we make here can't tell you to do one thing, can't tell you to do the other, but we have lived your, your era. You really could, you know, become something better and perhaps one day become part of the Federation and live through peace the way that we do. Um, so everything's good here. Time to warp away to the next episode. <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, they go, uh, they go get out of there. And so we are back in the, uh, um, the space dock and, and Admiral April is uh, apparently gotten up to speed with what happened with the USS discovery. He was, you know, disclosed on, on what happened there. And that was really the only way in which he was able to argue for, uh, keeping Pike and crew out of jail. Also the fact that, uh, they were able to lawyer Starfleet into saying, look, if you can't acknowledge that this, uh, this thing happened with the disco, and we know that this thing happened with the disco is what caused this violation of the general order to exist, well, then officially you can't punish us for anything, right? Like, yeah. just found a, found a loophole there. Um, closing some things out, we, we do find out as uh, uh, Nan's talking about her, her whole history and that she should have been more upfront about that with the captain captain's like i i kind of get it we do learn that the gorn apparently like do this ritualistic thing where like the last survivor they just sort of throw them into space nobody expects them to survive but it's sort of like a hey high five you're you're the last person on survivor right um you get to go out there um and she just coincidentally happened to be rescued by uh by una number one so that's how they met and uh we get the, uh, the the mystery box, the tease of uh, Lieutenant Kirk. Uh, it's not the Kirk you were thinking of. It is Samuel Kirk, his brother in life sciences. Yep. He's going to report to Mr. Spock. And we get the motto. You know, 
explore strange new worlds, that sort of thing. And uh, I'll close out with a credit to uh, In Memoriam for April Don Nosephora, who was apparently a producer on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, and the uh, one other little note in there that he uh, Pike invites uh, Singh to stay on board as the security chief. Right? Oh, yes, so that's, that's true. That yes. cements her on the ship. That's right. That's right. He did do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought this was good. I thought this was a really fun Star Trek, very sort of throwback Star Trek kind of story. It was, you know, it was a, obviously it was about laying the foundation, who the pieces are, all that kind of stuff that you get in a first episode. But it was also just one of those nice, tight, 50-minute Star Trek stories, which for those people who have been sort of lamenting the episodic nature of Discovery or Picard, this is really way more Trek than you know, that traditional track, I should say. The other ones I still think are, are fully tracked, but I understand why people uh, don't like the difference. I, I thought this was a really fun little adventure. I mean, you know, we already established, obviously, our relationship with the three main characters, with with Pike and, and Spock and Una. And, you know, they're all very likable and they're all really good actors. And the new characters, you know, again, it's it's fun to sort of see some familiar faces and mix in some new ones. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's going to continue to unfold. Lots of foreshadowing. I was thinking about, you know, this as I was watching it, thinking, well, you know, we always talk about it when there's a, a Star Trek show because it's a series that has 50 plus years of history. Are people going to be you know, left out because they don't know all the stories. Like you and I know what happens with T'Pring, but I was watching this earlier with my son. He does not know who T'Pring is and the whole story of, of T'Pring and the Ponfar and, and all that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of little stories like that. Like he has, he hasn't even seen the menagerie. So like, you know, it's funny though. I was thinking about that because, you know, I mentioned that in the episode, you know, obviously, Pike, they kept going, he kept seeing the visions of himself in, in the, uh, the motorized, you know, uh, wheelchair, for lack of a better term. And, you know, he sees that as his fate. He sees that as his ultimate fate, that I'm going to live out my life for the next decade, but then I'm going to end up in this chair. But he doesn't know is that he actually does get kind of a pseudo happy ending through the story of the menagerie, right? Where Picard, uh, Picard, where Spock and Kirk uh, take him back to the planet from the cage or from the menagerie and let him have his happy ending. Right. So, you know, again, we, as the omniscient viewers know a lot, especially if you've watched all the TOS and all the sort of, you know, other materials, uh, but I wonder if it it um, does sort of speak to the, you know, again, that the perilous parts of doing a prequel, you need to have some roots in it. It certainly helps bring the story together, but I, I don't think you'd need it. I, I'm, I'm, I think Xavier enjoyed it on its own, and I'm sure people will enjoy it on their own. Or again, if they're not a fan of the more, I don't want to call it aggressive, but, you know, perhaps a little more modern take that discovery brings you of, of star trek i could see why this would be more appealing yeah yeah i think i think this hits a, a better balance for some of the criticisms that modern trek primarily discovery and picard get of like there's you know there's emotional moments in those and like now is the time to do an emotional moment it's like no it's not it's inconvenient why are you doing this emotional moment here the emotional moments are 
for for Pike, and it is very clear that it is inconvenient. Right? You're like, mm-hmm. this is not a good time. What what's up with our captain who's really cheerful? And I thought we were gonna warp off. And what's he doing? Right? Um, and they they even have you know the the other people in the crew, uh, Lieutenant Lon have uh, Lon. Wait, is it Lon or Lon? My my autocorrect. Laan. Laan. Thank, La-on. thank you, uh, Lieutenant Laan. Um, you know, has her own trauma, and they like push it off until it's a more convenient time. Like, hey, we're waiting around for these negotiations to occur. Hey, uh, we're wrapping up and getting ready to go. Okay, now's the time for the emotional piece, right? They have, uh, I think, a, a nice balance there. So, if yep. Yep. if you were more into the, uh, you know, more traditional older school style of trek, um, I do think we are in a in an era of of plenty where there is all kinds of different trek for all sorts of different. Uh, tastes i think you will probably be happier with this even if you aren't as familiar with some of the backstory because i do think they balanced it where it's not quite as reference heavy as long as you kind of know hey this guy knows his future it's a terrible future he's afraid of it you're gonna have to deal with it drop a little bit of hints of like hey this thing happened with spock's sister and the discovery and you have at least a little bit of knowledge there i think you'd be fine i saw a tweet earlier today that said star trek is back that was a review Everybody yeah. wants to say that. And I'm like, did you not watch Prodigy? Did you not watch uh, Lower Decks? Because that's your old school Trek right there, uh, granted yeah. in animation yeah. form. So maybe it's back in uh, in live action form if you're not happy with Picard and Disco. Yep. But I like. I think you, you nailed it, Jaime. I think it's now there are five series. You know, obviously Picard we know is only going to do one more season. But there's five different Trek series that are ongoing right now and theoretically more in development. There, you don't have to watch it all. If it's not your cup of tea, if you're not loving disco, move on. Watch something different. There's there's good options out yeah. there. You know, I find this cast very likable. I like the idea of going back to some nice, just fun, you know, little episode of the week. Tell me an interesting story in a sci-fi milieu. Go. Like, that's great. And there is underlying stuff. Again, you know, when somebody shows up with the last name Nunyan Singh, you know it's going somewhere. You know, there's, there's still going to be ongoing stuff that'll build episode to episode these aren't going to just be like a bottle after bottle after bottle after bottle but uh you know i think i, I don't think you need to to sort of you know crap on one thing to love another or vice versa right yeah yeah mm-hmm. by the way lieutenant redshirt is lieutenant jenna mitchell did they state go. her name or is that from like IMDb no or no i just read that on imdb okay okay yeah. so i i didn't do a bad job of getting the name it was not stated on screen well, they had those those sort of. Um, they've been going through the bridge crew on those those little prequel thingies. Oh, the little mm-hmm. vignettes they've been putting online. Yeah. No, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I mean, I, I was, I was I, you know, it's funny that, um, yeah, it did feel very sort of to me like like right from the get go. Uh, I mean, once it got past the Cullen Bohannon scene, them, um, it did very much seem like like a typical Star Trek. Um, Kind of show because I mean that was you know sort of what it was they would go to these land these these planets they would beam down they would be you know even even the sort of overview of Spock with the with the slideshow although I I, I didn't I, did you not did not bother you that the 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 projector view was on a extreme angle like you know in the when he was explaining about the war between the two civilizations anyway but but that sort of you know uh, exposition that they used to do in the original shows you know. Um, where they would try and, you know, they would they'd come to this new place, they would kind of like sort of very quickly do a quick assessment of, of the, the state of the culture, 
kind of thing and then they would they would put on the disguises and jump down and you know the you know get the replicate the uniforms and beam down and you know whether it was in like a world war ii or you know um, chicago gangster kind of deal um even with the the because i think the first time they ever did kirk as a romulan when they were stealing the warp the the uh, cloaking device that was the first time where they sort of they sort of played with you know uh, william shatner with the with the romulan ears right but that sort of you know kind of way that they kind of blend into the society. I mean, they, they know they did that a lot in the next generation too, where they would, you know, they would modify Riker's forehead to have him blend in with the, the natives. Right. So, well, and they made Worf a, a human at one point, right? Did they? Yeah. remember he goes to the mission with his brother. Oh yeah. His brother was violating the prime directive and they have to like go into a cave or something, but they secretly transported them and then put them on the holodeck or something and took them elsewhere. Because their planet yeah. was blowing oh, okay. up or something. Yeah, with this, with it's with his adopted brother. We should say his human brother, right? Oh, human brother. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think. Of wasn't it like his Paul Servino? Wasn't, wasn't it? Wasn't it Paul Servino played his brother? Mm, no, I feel like it was. Yeah, but I mean, like, like the sort of the sort of you know, let's solve this problem in forty minutes kind of deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, thing. and 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 it's interesting. To, it's interesting too. I like the, I like the idea that that the writers caught that you know when you have to like you know it's sort of like U.S. and Russia right now, or, you, or Russia and the rest of the world right now. Um, you know, if if and if the Vulcans appeared in in the sky right now, you know, what would Putin do? Right? You know, all of a sudden his adversary wouldn't be the people you know sanctioning his his shipments. It would be like, what are we doing about this? this, you know, invading species from another planet sort of thing, right? Like, like the sort of wake-up call, you know what I mean? Like the, or the Childhood's End, I think, is is the book by um, Arthur C. Clarke where, you know, um, the, the aliens show up and, and all of a sudden we have to sort of put all our differences aside and kind of, it, as a society, deal with that, right? And, you know, that was kind of a, an interesting solution. And the, the whole argument about order number one or which they eventually call the prime directive, that'll never stick, right? I like that line. But, um, you know, how they, they talk about, you know, screw the prime directive and let's just go in. Because that was constantly, Kirk was constantly, like, through the, through the prime directive. Um, it was interesting, interesting too, though. Did you guys, I don't know if you guys talked about the Gorn reference. I know that, that we talked about the meat, the, the sex sacks, or whatever they called them. Um, the... Because the Gorn was the, the lizard dude, right? The one that Kirk yep. fights on the planet? Yep. So, because they mentioned Gorn in the beginning, or you see the word Gorn in the beginning, um, flash up on the screen. And then, you know, then of course, you know, a Noonien Sung character talks about, you know, being attacked by the Gorn. But uh, it's interesting that, that that was sort of brought up. Because I, I, I thought it was maybe in reference to this planet that they discovered or whatever. But um, the one thing that kind of bothered me was, was the... Um, near miss of the the theme song like if you're going to do if you're going to do an homage to the original series and have you know that sort of you know alexander courage kind of theme then just do it right like like doctor who always has the same theme it's jazzed up a bit or toned down or modified a bit between each doctor generation but um you know it's always the same sort of you know um, modernistic theme right um doesn't I mean it doesn't vary too much, right? But this was this was kind of like either do it or or do something completely different. Like like they I think for each of the um each of the series, you know, like the next generation took the, the theme from the movie and used that as its theme and then 
you know, um, Discovery has its own theme and, you know, Lower Decks has its own theme kind of thing, right? And this one kind of wants to do the original series theme, but doesn't know how to do it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like even, even the sort of the shots of the ship flying towards you and the names showing up and, you know, I, I kind of, I thought it would be fun if they kind of kind of did that closer to the original series than they, than they did. So I, I will never watch the, the, um, as long as we're streaming, I'll never watch the uh, the opening scene again. I'll just skip the intro or skip the theme part, right? So, yeah, I actually, I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was actually kind of like a, a nice homage. I thought it was like, yeah, but well, like I said, it was it was a near miss. It was it was trying to be close, but it wasn't close enough, and it wasn't different enough, in my opinion. You know, like it was it was you know, you know what I mean, like like Discovery has its own sort of thing, right? Like you, mm. you definitely know you're watching Discovery because when that theme theme song kicks in and you get those sort of images, even though the images change. For each episode, they change for each series, right? And same thing with same thing with um, Lower Decks. It has its own sort of you know theme, and Picard has its own theme, which you know again. So again, that's another one I will skip too, right? I watch it the first time, and then it never. I don't think it ever varies, right? So well, it varies but, from season to season, but not episode to episode. But you know, but then at the end, the end, the very the very last um, line. Uh, last musical line in in most of these series has been the sort of Alexander Courage, you know, I don't know if it's like a trumpet or whatever. Da, 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 kind of, you know, they play that sort of bit at the end, right? Before the CBS logo pops in. Yep. Yeah. But that's cool. Whenever they, whenever they play that little sort of line or melody, kind of connects all the dots, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We're ready for the moon night of it all? Sure. Yep. So last up, we're going to do Moon Knight Season 1, Episode 6, the season finale, Gods and Monsters. So we'll start by saying that uh, a very subtle move that came recently was in this last week, they changed changed the terminology online from calling it the series finale to the season finale, which was very telling. So mm. uh, I think they're keeping the doors open to continuing this and, and we'll get to the why of that in, in a second. So we, we picked this one up where we left off last week. Uh, Mark is still dead. His B is lying in the pool. Uh, we see Harrow uh, sort of, you know, retrieve the Ashapti statue of Amitz. And he, you know, sort of says, you know, sorry, sorry, we had to do this to you, buddy. But, you know, it's, it's bigger than you. And he leaves the scarab, the, the scarab that points the direction to how to find Amit on his chest because he doesn't need it anymore because he's got the Ashapti. Uh, Layla is watching all this happen. She's hiding behind a, a large stone column. One of the one of the uh, guards sort of you know, come. One of Harold's followers comes around the corner. She quietly takes him out, and uh, and she gets to see um, Harold basically, you know, uh, get even more sort of bad with you know now having this this is a shop in his in his power the staff sort of transforms i guess is more i guess the idea is he's supposed to have even more power now that he has the ashapti um so they all leave layla comes out sees mark's body and starts sort of you know mourning oh my god i can't believe he's dead and then she notices the scarab she picks it up and it's pointing and of course it's pointing to wherever amit is so she knows how she can find them so uh there's no there's no no plot hole in that one we know what how she's able to track them 
we uh, we then go to this sort of scene at uh, an Egyptian checkpoint where they are uh, Harrow's followers are all sort of pulling up, and uh, of course it's you know let, let us see your papers. They say in Arabic, and of course it's we don't need no stinking papers. We've got uh, we've got this, and they uh, Harrow you know slams his staff, his walking stick out to you know unleash um, its powers, and you know we see the the um, all the souls of the people who are quote unquote unworthy ascending into the sky. And then we see the sort of one survivor, you know, uh, Harrow does his sort of you know smarmy. Here is the face of a good man story. And uh, that person then, you know, sort of signs on with them and, and, and off they go. Um, it's at this point that Layla is sort of sneaking up because she's tagged along with them. She's stowed away and she's going to, she's going to try and get up there and, and murder uh, Harrow. And one of the dead and or dying bodies that's lying on the ground starts speaking in the voice of Tower at the, the, the hippo God that we had seen in, in the last couple of episodes, because Mark and Steven had said, Hey, can you get a message to Layla? What she needs to do is free Conchu. So she, yeah, relays this message to, through the dead bodies, and of course, Layla is like, "Sorry, what's happening here? Like, what, 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 there's the dead are now like rising up and talking in a, a woman's voice. That's very strange." We see Harrow breaking into the Great Pyramid of Giza, uh, where, of course, we know that's where the the sort of ceremonial space for the the uh, last of the Egyptian gods are, and uh, he, you know, walks in, and they're like, "No, no, you can't be here," and he's like, "Yeah." Good night, and he sort of slams the, the power down again of Amit, and uh, seemingly at that point seems to have killed all the, the avatars. Although we find out in a few minutes that not all of them are, and uh, and then smashes the the statue and releases Amit, and we see you know Amit show up in you know her full glory. She's this gigantic crocodile-faced goddess, and uh, she's you know. What, what would you guys estimate? 20 feet tall? Very, very, very intimidating. And, uh, and you know, she sort of says, you know, who, who freed me? And Harrow's like, well, I did. And, but I understand, you know, like I'm, I'm unworthy. I I've done all these awful things. I don't deserve to be here. So, you know, you, you can, you can kill me now. It's okay. And she's like, no, 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 you're going to be my avatar. You're, you're the one. Layla, of course, is tagged along with this group again, and she sort of sneaks in. She's sneaking in behind. She's trying to find the Ashapti, the statue of, of Khonshu. And so she finds it. She smashes it. Khonshu comes free again. And, of course, he says, you know, hey, will you be my avatar? And we've known through the whole, uh, the last few episodes that that was what Mark was trying to prevent, was her becoming the avatar of Khonshu. And... <laughs> Sensibly, Layla's like, um, hard pass. I'm not, I'm not interested in working for you. I've seen what you've done to my husband. Not interested in, in working with you. And uh, in a very foreshadowing uh, moment, she's, he calls her a little bug, um, which will pay off in, in a few minutes. Uh, it's at this point that Khonshu, uh, you know, appears in the main chamber and confronts Amit and, you know, the two of them are, are sort of, you know, going to get at it. We then cut back to the field of reeds where we left Mark at the end of the last episode. He's uh, he's been freed of the imbalance of having Stephen as part of his personality. And he's there with Talret and Stephen was lost, of course, in the desert. He turned into a sand person. 
And um, Mark sort of says, you know, it's so peaceful here. It's so quiet. It's so lovely. And Farrett's like, you know, off you go. You're, you're free to live here now. This is, you know, this is your version of heaven. And he's like, no, I can't do it. I've, I've got to go back. And he's like, she says, just so you know, if you leave, you can't come back. Like, this is it. You, if you, if you're out, you're out. And he says, I'm taking that chance. And he goes out in back through into the into the sands and he finds where Stephen had fallen with his sort of his hand outreached and uh, they have a sort of a touching moment where when they make contact of course uh, before you know Mark also gets claimed by the desert being reunited accepting each other accepting Mark accepting Stephen as an important part of him brings him back and of course they, they sort of save one another there um Back to the Great Pyramid of Giza, and we get this, you know, knockdown, drag out, god fight where uh, Khonshu and Amit are, you know, beating the tar out of each other. And of course, they're both 20 feet tall and throwing each other around. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And then we go back to, you know, Mark and Steven in the desert. They're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to get out of here? There's this huge sort of sand wave coming towards them. They're like, oh, we're, you know, we're never going to get out of here. How are we going to do this? And, of course, then at the last minute, uh, Tallrat shows up with the the boat that ferried them there and wipes away the wave. And uh, that's enough to sort of trigger them back to returning to Mark's body. And because, of course, he's come back to the body at that point, it's got two bullet holes in it. But because Khonshu has been freed, Mark has access to the healing of the Moon Knight powers and Moon Knight lives again. He's back. Um, it's at that instantaneously point, detected, right? Because Khonshu, when he was freed, was like, you know, I need a new avatar. There's no I, I can tell that Mark Spector is not here. And mm-hmm. mid fight is like, oh, Mark Spector. Hell yeah. And then goes and saves. Uh, saves him right it was like a like a an instantaneous knowledge of his uh, revival from yeah. passing through the gates that osiris had opened up absolutely and it's at this point that uh you know when he comes back you know conchu's like great you're back get in there and he's like um no we need to talk about terms here my friend uh i'm you know i'm not coming back and then it turns into a three-way conversation because they keep alternating between Mark and Steven as Mr. Knight and Moon Knight. Uh, you know, we want to be free. We don't want to be Moon Knight when this is all over. And, and Khonshu somewhat surprisingly relents and says, fine, when this is over, you'll be freed. Just do what you got to do. Uh, we go back to the Great Pyramid and uh, it turns out that Horus's avatar, the leader of the, um, of the um, Egyptian avatars is still alive he says you know hey we can't you know the only way to stop Ahmed is to put um you know bind her to this place uh but we can't do that we need more avatars we need we need more power basically and um so then we go back to mark and uh mark is in the moon knight suit and for some inexplicable reason, I've never seen this in any comic I've ever read about Moon Knight. Uh, he needs to get to where Amit, to, where, to, the, to the Great Pyramid is, from where he was at Amit's original burying place with the, the tomb of Alexander the Great. And so uh, Khonshu basically launches him and he flies. I, I don't remember Moon Knight being able to fly. So that's a, that's a new slash weird one. Like, like me. fly glides, right? Because Khonshu's like, I'm still the, the god of the night sky, right? So yeah. considering they were able to move it before, I kind of interpret it as like he 
semi semi glided versus like Superman style, um, just yeah, zipping around, but in like a like a bullet speed, like he is cooking across the desert to get from one place to the other. Um, yeah, bit of bit of a jump, but okay, all right, I'm 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 in. I'll I'll look I'll allow it. Uh, back to Harrow, of course. Uh, you know, uh, Amit says basically, you know, uh you know, use my powers, judge everyone. So all of a sudden, all the people in Cairo are there and, you know, we see the street scenes and, and, uh, you know, all of the followers of Ahmed are basically called to, to her service to then start basically, um, weighing, uh, and judging everyone as to their worthiness. And of course, those who are not worthy now are not ascending and showing up and, and just sort of plopping down in the desert of lost souls. They're going right into Amit's mouth. So she has become the devourer of souls, which again, seems a little incongruous. And we didn't really talk about that being her, you know, reason for being, but apparently that's what she does. But uh, Good, cool moment there where uh, Tuaret is is looking, you know, uh, Layla and Tuaret are trying to figure out how they're going to, um, you know, have another another person, another avatar to help Mark put Amit back into uh, captivity. And so uh, Tuaret says, cool, you're going to be my avatar. And and, uh, that, you know, she... Alakazam and Layla becomes, uh, you know, superhero more or less. And nice outfit too, right? For the the costume yeah, design, an appropriate costume, like not just you know ridiculous, but but very fitting of her Egyptian culture. And it is, um, they don't name her, they don't call her the Scarlet Scarab, but it seems to be very much like the Scarlet Scarab character from the comic books uh, that has appeared over the years. There was a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of hints over the series that that's who they're going to do. And again, we talked about earlier, Khonshu calls her the little bug at one point, which of course pays off with her becoming the Scarlet Scarab. Uh, we go to the city of Cairo and, uh, you know, we get the, the knockdown drag out fight scenes. You knew it was coming. We were, you know, Moon Knight versus Harrow, Amit versus Khonshu. So these parallel fights are happening, you know, on the outskirts of the city, Amit and Khonshu are both 50 feet tall and they're, they're, you know, beating the heck out of each other in the city. Moon Knight and Harrow are going back and forth and fighting. Um, Layla comes in and, and sort of saves Mark and then, um, you know, Stephen appears as Mr. Knight and he's got his his uh, staffs and he's, you know, beating the, uh, you know, beating Harrow pretty good. At this point, uh, you know, Harrow starts to get the upper hand and, and things are starting to turn a little bit. And, uh, you know, we get a nice sort of a, a little bit a little bit uh, overwrought scene, but, you know, uh, there's a family uh, that you know, they're in this car. The car gets knocked over. Um we get Layla going and rescuing them and one of the, you know, young women coming out and saying, are you, are you an Egyptian superhero? And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's obviously it's a little pandering, but it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we see Conchu sort of falling and things are looking bad. Mark is just about to lose. Things are seeming really overwrought. And we get another one of those sort of blackout moments that they sort of sort of skip to black just for a second. And then they cut back and everything around them is in pieces. And Harrow is, you know, unconscious. And it's, you know, it's really, um, you know, another one of those like, what, what just happened there? And, and of course, 
we've been able to piece together over the course of the series that, you know, it seems like there's a third person inside of Mark that is not Steven and is sort of taking control in these moments and is clearly quite badass because he just won while they were blacked out. Uh, they go back and they, uh, they start using the spell and the spell is supposed to bind Amit's soul to Harrow. And so they go in there and they, you know, bind it. And, you know, Khonshu yells, you know, basically the mortal combat finish him. And, Mark sort of says, no, I'm done. Like he, I told you I would stop him. I've stopped him. He's not a harm to anybody, nor is, nor is Amit. I want to be free now. And, you know, uh, Contra says, you know, fine, you're released. Poof, off you go. This snaps them back to the psych ward. And uh, we get, you know, another little interaction between, uh, you know, Dr. Harrow and uh, Stephen and Mark as the personalities in there. And they, you know, uh, sort of say you know, oh, this was, you know, clearly in my mind, but this was also, you know, definitely uh, a victory in their their sort of um, fragmented mind. Um, we then cut back, it's supposed to be, you know, time later. It's back in London, and they're at Stephen's apartment, coming out of, uh, out of bed, and it's Mark, not Stephen, in Stephen's bed. He you know, wakes up, we hear this familiar song from the first episode and he does a face plant because he's tied himself down and, you know, you're sort of finding yourself thinking, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, this is good. They're back, sort of found their status quo again. But then we get this sort of, uh, you know, PS scene at the end where, uh, you know, Harrow, Harrow is at the uh, Sinkovich Psychiatric Hospital, which is a lovely little homage to Bill Sinkovich, who's the uh, long-term Moon Knight artist, very famous comic book artist, which is a nice little little tuck-in for him. And um, we see Harrow, who's clearly still got Amit inside, is sort of being uh, retrieved from this facility, taken and put into the back of this limousine. And Khonshu is sitting there, of course, wearing the very nice suit. And, you know, Harrow says, well, you can't, you know, you can't hurt me. I'm, you know, this, I'm, I'm fine now. You like, what are you going to do? You can't possibly do anything to me. And Khonshu says, well, let me introduce you to my, you know, other avatar. It was such a waste of time for Mark and Steven to make such a big deal about being free. I don't need them. I've got this other one. And we see... Uh, of course, the body of Mark, but not the personality, and is introduced as you know. Hey, this is this is the third guy, and uh, this is Jake Lockley, and Jake has got this Spanish accent. Turns around with a, a gun with a silencer on it, and then we cut to the outside and we hear pew pew pew, and uh, theoretically that's the end of that. And now we sort of finally get that closure of who was the third personality, who was the the person who wasn't Steven and wasn't Mark, but was in control. And also we know that he's still quite, quite happy to be in the service of Conchu. Yeah. That, and that's where we wrap it. That ending from Conchu's side was one of those, um, yep. The, the devil finds a way to lawyer you kind of things of like, he, oh, yeah. he has hypothetically released, you know, Mark and Steven. And uh, this other personality did not agree to be released. So the, the body is still useful to Khonshu. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Amit uh, is hypocritical as well, right? So we, we talked throughout the, the series that the, the basic 
philosophical difference between Amit and Khonshu, who both believe in justice, is that Khonshu says, you have committed this crime, it's in the past now, and I will punish you for it now. And Amit says, you cannot commit this crime because I know you're going to do it and I will prevent you from, from doing it. And, and you would think that that would mean, hey, you know, Harrow has done bad things. He is, um, you know, he has unbalanced scales. He should not meet the definition. He's, he's a true believer. He's like, yeah, take me out. You know, that's part of the whole thing. She's like, no, nah, I think you're useful. So I'm going to, I'm going to bend the rules for you a little bit. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> that's hypocritical for you to bend the rules. You've been such a hard finder for these other people who, who haven't committed their crimes yet. So I thought that was, uh, you know, humanizing for the, the gods themselves, right? That they're, they're, they've got their own personalities there. They're willing to bend their own rules. Sort of thing. They're, yeah. they're not on the up and up is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Gods I'm do curious, not treat curious. people like equals. They treat them like playthings. I'm curious about Layla's characters. Does that have a, have a name, like a Moon Knight sort of name? Or is it just sort of... Well, Scar- Scarlet Scarab is, is essentially who they're portraying her as. Okay, okay. Layla, the character, does not exist in the comics canon. It is a wholly created for this. It takes mm-hmm. the place of, of Moon Knight's wife, which is a different character. But it's, I think it, it was a, a good and logical change, one, to actually have an Egyptian actor or actress, yeah. rather, play uh, in this so that it's not just being completely whitewashed. And, um, yeah, and in the comics... Uh, yeah, it, it's a different, very different sort of story. But um, yeah, it, she definitely has what would appear to be the the, the powers of the Scarlet Scarab. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if if that's the last we'll see of her, or if she's going to continue to be Avatar. It seemed like again that could have been a sort of temporary arrangement, right, between her and and Tarred. Although I imagine, as being an Avatar of a God goes. Being the avatar of Tarot probably a lot nicer than being the avatar of Khonshu, you know, uh, being the, the goddess of, of um, was it fertility and birth as opposed to the one of, of vengeance and, you know, travelers of the night? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the personality of Tarot is, you know, got that, that very... Uh, British human resources bureaucrat <laughs> voice to yeah. it, right? It sounds like somebody who's telling you that, like, your your NHS payment didn't go through properly, and then sorry, you're gonna have to <laughs> fill this this exception document out in triplicate, right? It's got that sort of thing to it. But she, you know, she's willing to help. She's like, but I'll kind of point you in the direction of like accounting who can help resolve some of this. So it's it's not all bad with her. Yep. So now that we've gotten to the end of Moon Knight, uh, did you guys enjoy the ride? Was this a, a, you know, where does this rank as far as your enjoyment of Marvel storytelling? And, and you know, are you hopeful that they'll do more? It was good. I think the, the, the flipping back and forth between the psych word and, and somewhat reality was a little confusing from time to time. Like, uh, it, it, was, it was interesting, refreshing kind of like kind of storyline to sort of have that happen. But like, it did. It did sort of add to a bit of confusion in terms of which which like world are we supposed to believe is the real world kind of, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I think it was, it was deliberate that way, right? Like they kind of wanted yeah. you as the as the viewer to question whether or not this was all in Mark Mark's head or Stephen's head or all of the above. Yeah, yeah, and and this is the one where the mother is particularly evil, right? Like 
mother character? Yeah, I mean, clearly she's yeah abusive. She's yeah, I mean, abusive. It, it, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not going to justify it. But her her experiences are extreme, but her reactions is extreme also. Yeah, but it's funny that they don't like they usually have some sort of heads up warning. You know, when you're watching a show like this about you know abusive relationships. Oh, triggering and yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't cover that. So yeah, oh, they didn't they didn't touch on that right because. It's implied, but you don't really find out till much later that she the re, part of the reason why Mark um, creates Stephen is because of the, to shelter himself from the abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, don't know. I thought it was a, an interesting take on a on a, a Marvel character. It definitely was a departure from some of the stuff that we've seen, especially on Disney Plus. It was mm-hmm. headier. I think you know, inarguably, the performance of Oscar Isaacs was amazing. Definitely. from top to bottom to be able to switch and do that in such mm-hmm. both convincing yeah. way. Yeah. Convincing ways, but also in very subtle ways. Like there were times where you aren't crystal clear who's talking. Like There are times there where, you know, I always had, because I do have the background. I always had, you know, Jake in my mind, because the three personalities are very dominant okay. throughout the comic mm-hmm. storytelling, Steven and Jake and, and Mark. There were a few times there where it seemed like he was deliberately obfuscating whether or not we actually were hearing Mark talk or whether maybe we were hearing Jake talk. And I mm. actually, I heard an interview with the, uh, the, the showrunner the other day. And he was saying, I didn't write that in the script, but Oscar was so, so into the layers of this character that even I, as the, the director, as the showrunner was looking at it going like, did he just do Jake there? Did like, you know, yeah. like mm. he was, Oscar was bringing so much in his performance, so much nuance, so much subtlety in the way that he said things and just the way he moved his eyes and stuff that was just, uh, you know, it really kept that what could have been a bit of a parody of a serious mental health condition and really made it affecting when wrapped into a superhero story. And I thought uh, the the woman who played Layla, whose name I cannot remember, I want to say uh, May Kalamawe, Kalam, Kalam, Kalamwe. I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm butchering that, and I apologize deeply. But I thought she was wonderful too. I thought she was again, you know, strong but still vulnerable, complex and interesting. She wasn't just a damsel in distress. She was very much had her own, you know, agenda and and sort of followed that. I, I thought she was a nice nice addition to this to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I enjoyed cool. Moon Knight. I had very little com- information coming into the story. I feel like they did a good job of explaining the basics of the characters and, and how things fit together. Um, I would like to see more, but I'm also feeling pretty satisfied if they close this off as a, uh, a one-off miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's move on to our watch list so we can wrap this up. Um, quickly, uh, I want to give a shout out to Jason Chu. Jason Chu's the, the person that work. He's a movie file, um, goes to TIFF and all that kind of stuff. And we talk about movies all the time at work. And, um, he's the person who put me on to, um, the, um, letter, I can't remember what it's called. Letterbox. I think it's the, the name of the app that I store my movies in. But, uh, he pointed out today, I was chatting with him about some of the movies I watched on the, on the plane on the way home. Um, Long story short, we had a seven-hour flight. We ended up sitting on the runway for two hours after we landed uh, to try and get through security. So I had a lot of time to watch a lot of different movies and TV shows during the last trip home. But, uh, yeah, I was explaining to him that I started watching Suicide Squad, and I, and I wasn't sure if we had that here in 
available to us yet in Canada because I know it was delayed coming here. But uh, he pointed out that uh, there's this cool website called JustWatch.com. And we talk about this on the show all the time. Like, where are we going to be able to watch this show or whatever movie or whatever it is? Um, this works around the world, basically JustWatch.com. Go in there, punch in a movie or, or a TV show or whatever you want, and it'll tell you what's, what's um, local systems it's streaming on or viable, rentable on sort of thing, right? So, yeah, of course, Suicide Squad is on Crave, but, you know, like using this app, I found that out in a matter of seconds. So, kind of cool. Check that check that link out when you get a check. Then, chance. And um, just a couple of quick three, quick reviews of some of the movies I watched on the plane. House of Gucci, which is a Ridley Scott movie, which I'm a huge fan of Ridley Scott, um, was kind of weird, kind of predictable, didn't really buy into the sort of breakup between the two characters. And wait, that was Jared Leto? Holy cow. Um, I, I, that was a super annoying character in the movie. And, like, totally uncong- incongruous to the rest of the people in, the, like, the, the people in his own family. But I didn't know that was Jared Leto. I, I probably would have looked at it completely different if I had, had I known going in. And as much as, you know, uh, Colin, uh, is it Colin Farrell that's in Batman? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I totally missed that that was him in Batman. The other movie I started watching was The Last Duel, which was, uh, come on, give me a break. Matt Damon, like, <laughs> can, can the guy not do even attempt to do an accent? Um, it's a French story uh, about a couple of uh, sort of King's Knights sort of thing. You know, there's a, there's a lady involved played by Jodie Comer. And um, the, uh, the, so they're, <laughs> they're French, yet... Every character in it is speaking in, with an English accent, except for Matt Damon. <laughs> and I got, which is like, why even bother casting him? But the the other thing is, is uh, I didn't recognize Ben Affleck until he started talking. <laughs> Surprisingly, right? Like Ben Affleck has a, bl- you know, he plays the the sort of the not the king, but the king's cousin, and he's sort of the r- ruler of the roost and um, completely blonde hair, you know. Um, clean shaven, you know, in regal outfit. And until he started talking, I, I looked at him, kept going, looking at him, going, I wonder who that, he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him until, until, you know, halfway through the movie. So I haven't finished that movie. Um, I was had, had a, ten, a six-year-old kid sitting next to me, so there were some scenes I had to skip through. Um, and I just decided to stop watching it after a while, but, um, yeah, yeah you gotta just, go back because the, the movie is in three parts. You get the same story three different ways three and you have to yeah. figure out yeah. what the truth is based on each of them having their own perspective of what happened. Oh, is that why the, the first one starts off with the truth from the Matt Damon characters? Yeah. Perspective? You, you, you get all three the, characters the perspective uh, and, and, yeah, and you decide what finish, you think actually happened. Yeah. I got, well, I kind of think I know what happened, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I gotta, gotta get the, uh, gotta get the, uh, the thing going. And then of course I started watching the, the suicide squad. And um, I got about 10 minutes in before I realized that, yeah, this is probably not something you want to watch with a six-year-old sitting next to you. <laughs> no, we, we told you. It's like hell, hell of violence. I think we described it as being like Amazon's Oh, I know. Boys. I just started watching it, and I'm, just, and I'm thinking, well, she wasn't sitting. She came to sit next to, next to her grandmother um, on the flight with us. And, uh, yeah, I started watching, and then I realized, oh, yeah, I, can't, I cannot watch this movie because I'm going to get involved in it. And then if she glances over and says, what is Because she does that a lot. She'll sit sees what i'm watching she goes what is that and i then i have to explain it to her right sort of thing um but yeah i watched the, i watched the first suicide squad meet their end let's put it that way 
Um, and I uh, just started watching it again on, on uh, TV here before we started recording. But um, yeah, it, it, it seems like a really interesting movie. Lots of lots of inside jokes and, and stuff. Is that Jason Bateman in the, one of the characters in the first part? Mm, on the beach, I believe it, it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's like 20 cameos in that first scene. Yeah, it, Pete Davidson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and um, oh, what's his name? The uh, Oh, God. Um, yeah, there's so many. Flu uh, Vlog, the, the German comedian, is Javelin. And oh, there's, mm. there's just, there's so many very funny ones. Yeah, so definitely, definitely worthwhile going back and watching. So I'm going to finish that one off for sure. And then I want to watch that before I watch um, uh, Peacemaker. Oh, no, definitely do that. It's it's important setup for, for Peacemaker. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure that the Suicide Squad is such a hard one with like a youngin like that because the, the character of Nanawe, the King Shark, is like there's no in between, right? Like either that little kid is going to be completely traumatized for life, seeing that kind of character, or they're going to be like super into it, and you're just going to get annoyed with. Well, like, I didn't get into. That. I didn't get that far into the movie. I I stopped watching before that character's introduced, which before, is probably so, yeah. good because again, there's I don't believe there's a neutral for that that age of kid to see that character. There, there's either complete love or complete horror. <laughs> so the lady, the lady that runs the Suicide Squad, is it the same actress that was in the first Suicide Squad movie? Yeah, it's Viola Davis. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, as Amanda Waller. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, the the army guy, um, Rick Flag, same character. Yep. Sorry, Colonel Rick Flag. Mm-hmm. Same same actor. Same actor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. So is the Suicide Squad just this like they get five people and just send them off for these missions randomly? Is that how the book comic book works? Yeah, in the comic book, it was basically the same, same principle. They basically have this metahuman prison down in Louisiana, and they decide, based on the, the needs of the mission, they basically work out with the, the, the crooks, hey, you know, complete this mission, get this much taken off your sentence, or in some cases, it's, you know, we'll continue to, you know, send checks to your loved ones or whatever it is, right? And, uh, yeah, Flag is the sort of... Um, military leader who sort of tends to lead the missions and it's same same basically deal they if they if they try and bugger off they're they're dead but uh do they screw up all the time like the one character weasel character can't swim and and the other one it's not quite as slapsticky that that opening scene is is i mean it's stupendously funny but it's it's you know it's, it's everything that could go wrong if you keep keep watching it in sort of see the rest of the suicide squad movie it'll it'll uh it'll start to make a little more sense and do not forget to watch all the way to the end because there's a great stinger at the end of of the suicide squad at the credits okay spoilers holy cow no you got to watch it all the way through you can't leave early all right i mean what do you got for us i've got the offer on paramount plus and i apologize i don't know where else this might be we can use just watch to find it. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> I guess I could do that. Uh, I wonder. I guess I have to switch it from U.S. to Canadian and see how that uh, works. But the offer is on Paramount Plus. It's a limited series biopic kind of series about the making of the Godfather movie, and um, I'm enjoying it. They they dropped the first three episodes out of ten. I want to say last week. Uh, I've not watched this week's episode because I had a, a double up of Picard and, and Strange New Worlds, and I've also got Halo to watch. Um, but I'm I'm really I'm really digging it. Like it, it was quite the battle to uh, to get to the point of making the Godfather, the 
you know, Paramount, the studio didn't believe in it. Yeah. The, the writer for the screenwriter is the novelist who, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to have a novelist write the screen. You've got the, the mafia upset at how they are portrayed in the book and they don't want this to happen. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it so far. Well, well, you enjoy that show because it's on Paramount Plus in Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. So it is available to Canadians. Just you all don't have a reason yet to to subscribe. They'll 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 get you. They'll there'll be some new thing that <laughs> I guarantee this uh, this socialized sci fi thing can't go on for forever. There's uh, there's capitalism to get in the way here. Yeah. So save it up with uh, the the your calculation as uh, I think I had mentioned um, uh, Mayor of Kingstown with uh, jeremy yep. renner as a good one that uh, you know maybe it'll maybe it'll flip on one of these days yeah eventually they'll get us or or they'll do what they did to the uh the fine folks who aren't here in north america and they'll they'll pull all the star trek away like a, a sheet from under the table and and uh we'll be left having to subscribe to paramount plus with like three days notice before the season starts yeah yeah it'll be like hey so what happened to these licenses with crave and sci-fi i was like oh we just didn't renew them oh no <laughs> can we renew them no you can't paramount plus all the way yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right for my uh, watch list item uh, it's something i mentioned a few episodes back they're bringing back kids the kids in the hall the iconic canadian uh comedy troupe are doing a new series of shows uh very much like their original program that aired here on the cbc in canada and uh, also aired in the united states and it is coming to Amazon and it's coming next week. So by the time you hear this, it'll be just mere days before this thing drops. I have not gotten anything. I have not seen online whether it's going to do week to week episodes or if they're dropping the whole lot all at once. But either way, I'm uh, I'm way in. I've seen a bunch of the sort of behind the scenes and some of the interviews that they've done over the past few weeks talking about, you know, bringing back the show and some of the familiar characters. And uh, it just I cannot wait to see these guys come back and and just be brilliantly funny men that they are so i'm I'm dying to get at that next week so scott thompson was a year ahead of me in university york university and mm. so shouldn't it be called the sextagenarians in the hall <laughs> they're all kids at heart tim they're all kids at heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah does that mean the bare naked ladies are now the bare naked old ladies but it looks like there's 22 20 episodes and i think they've all been dropped on prime so nice Oh, so they dropped they dropped the original series and they also dropped the um, the series that they did. Uh, Death comes to town came. They put that on there yes. already, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So lots of kids. I'm, look, content I'm looking there. in just justwatch dot com. So there you go. There you go. Makes its own gravy. Woo-hoo. Alrighty, well, I guess that's it for another episode. So, hey, Jonathan, people can get in touch with you wherever they find you. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JBK News. And hi, if people will get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter as at the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitch machine is where I'll be found. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. 
You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Just for reference, it's uh, 5.30 in the morning in Lisbon right now. <laughs> Have you recovered? Are you back on, on uh, North American uh, time yet? Not quite. I mean, we're still waking up early and like, you know, like by, by about, you know, 11.30, I'm like just, you know, to ready to go to bed. But you know. mm. the other thing worth mentioning is there's, there's two things that are this weekend. Unfortunately, they won't make it into the uh, timeline for us, but uh Saturday night live this week is Benedict Cumberbatch with uh, mm-hmm. Canada's own Arcade Fire as the musical okay. guest. So that should be a good episode. And um, Saturday, the 7th of May, is Free Comic Book Day. Mm-hmm. So uh, not only will there be free comic books if you go to your local comic book store, but I would imagine that the good folks at uh, Comixology may make a few of those free comic books available too, should you want to pick a few of those up. I think there's a good 30 plus books again this year. So if you're looking for a little free content for your, uh, for your comiXology account, I imagine there'll be a few to find there. Yeah. Should be a couple of good ones. There's a, there's a Spider-Man book. There's an Avengers X-Men crossover book. Um, and then there's a, um, a setup for the new DC crossover event called Dark Crisis, which is coming up this summer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, some, some good pieces in there. And of course, there's all the usual suspects. There's, I think there's a Star Trek book. I think there's a um, Sonic book. There's a few other things mixed in there. So, and free is a good price. So, Excellent. I don't know about you, where, where you guys, uh, well, I mean, Tim, obviously where you are, but the, um, I keep getting notifications on all my, you know, Facebook follows for all the local comic shops. They're like, Hey, we're having a sale. We're having artists come in. Like they really do try and make it a good event for, for people who are not necessarily uh, the hardcore fans to come in and, you know, enjoy the experience and try and make those connections again. It's good. It's a good marketing gig. Yeah. It's good to have a pandemic, a little bit better place for them to do this sort of thing. So imagine they're excited. And uh, yeah, one of the, couple of the stores that I have uh, been to have said that they're going to do, because the weather's supposed to be decent here on Saturday. It's supposed to be like 15 degrees Celsius, which is, you know, it's be a bit of a chilly day anywhere else, but for us, it's balmy. And um, they're going to do outside stuff. So they're, they're bringing like tables of old books out and doing like outside activities. So you don't even have to like be inside with your mask on. You can be outside if you want. So nice. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, my, uh, my dog looks like he, desperately needs to go out so i need to <laughs> i need to roll here yeah. um until next time i'll uh, i'll see you guys next week right yeah that's where i went mac had to go mac had to go yell at raccoons so <laughs> all right okay talk bye to you next week, guys talk to you later oh. as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.